Welcome to A Page in History. Join us on a fascinating journey as we delve into the memories of the world-famous NBC Pages. Get ready to hear first-hand accounts of their unforgettable experiences as they navigated the hallways of Burbank, California and the iconic 30 Rockefeller Plaza. Prepare to hear fascinating stories that were never meant to reach the ears of the general public. And now, your host for A Page in History, David Harris Katz. We are thrilled to introduce our next guest who had the incredible opportunity to work on the page desk during Saturday Night Live's 25th anniversary. And he also had the privilege of collaborating with numerous cast members throughout his tenure, including iconic figures like Billy Crystal and Dennis Miller. In fact, he continued to work alongside them for nearly two decades. And he's here today to share all of the exciting details of his journey. Can you believe that even a well-known personality like Bill Murray could get past security? Our upcoming guest had to step in and vouch for him. You won't want to miss the wild and entertaining story behind it. Have you ever found the weekend update jokes on SNL hilarious? Well, get this. Our next guest actually sold one of his jokes to Colin Quinn. Stay tuned as he shares the joke and reveals just how much he made from it. While Kristen Chenoweth is undoubtedly a talented and delightful performer, can you imagine having her join one of your tours and talking nonstop? Our next guest is here to share the unforgettable nails on a blackboard story from that experience. And Rosie O'Donnell, the fun-loving, candy-throwing talk show host, has a unique preference for riding elevators alone. Stay tuned to hear our guest's amusing encounter when the elevator doors opened and Rosie O'Donnell walked in. Plus, Max Weinberg, the legendary drummer for Conan, not only masters the drumsticks, but also wields a pair of barbells like a pro. Get ready to be inspired by his powerful story. And find out how a writer's assistant wrote an odd note where they tried to pick up our next guest. And discover why securing standby tickets for Saturday Night Live can often feel like they mean absolutely nothing. And you'll get an inside look at what it's like to meet Monica Lewinsky, the former president's gal pal. Tune in to find out if there were any intriguing new developments or scandals when she visited the set. So get ready to delve into the NBC page experience where our guest likens it to a summer camp adventure. We'll be sharing all the uncensored ways it's eerily reminiscent of summer camp and be warned, it might get a bit R-rated. He's worked on a variety of shows, including Conan O'Brien, Forgive and Forget, Curtis Court, Law and Order, Dennis Miller, and a slew of others. It is with immense pleasure that I introduced our next guest. Please join me in welcoming Mr. Christian Blatt. Oh, thank you so much for oh, yeah. that uh, great intro, David. And uh, I'm so glad you reminded me which stories I sent to you a couple months ago when we first talked about this, because uh, <laughs> I have to, uh, I, I needed to brush up my memory a little bit. And uh, shout out to everybody I worked with on Curtis Court. It uh, probably hasn't been mentioned aloud uh, in the 21st century. So uh, very nice to uh, be with you. And I'm always happy to uh, walk down memory lane uh of of all the floors of 30 rock wow yeah it's amazing you you 
had a list, uh, a huge list of all these shows. You look like you're 21. So, so you, you're oh, holding up please, well. Uh, I'll come back anytime you keep that up. Yeah. And you, and you, you worked on so many shows, uh, which we'll get to. Uh, and it's amazing. Dennis Miller, Curtis Court, Law and Order. You worked on a few Dennis Miller shows, um, yes. which is amazing. Um, and again, it's just a testament to, to being an NBC page. If you could suck up given tours, uh, you too could have a career in television and ra television, radio or films. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so it is amazing. So I guess we'll just kick it off. Uh, I started, I guess uh, you had worked uh, the page desk during the 25th anniversary year. I guess it is. Is that correct? Yes. So uh, I had previously been an intern at Saturday Night Live. So I knew people there. I was familiar with the layout. And so at the end of the 98-99 season, which is before the 25th anniversary season, all three of the desk pages got like real jobs before the end of SNL. So they suddenly needed to replace it. And uh I did know enough people at the show that I called in a favor. Uh, I, I called Ayala Cohen. Ayala Cohen, who uh, oh, was I know a very that big name. I know that, that name. Yeah. yeah. And uh, she said, she said, yeah, it makes perfect sense. Uh, I'll take care of it. And uh, not knowing that uh, the behind the scenes machinations within the page program, there were people that they wanted to put on that desk who had been page a page longer than me. But if you don't tell me that, I'm going to try and help myself out. And uh, so there is someone who uh, you know, probably doesn't necessarily think about it every day, but was very upset with me at that time because I took the spot away from them. But I was there for those last two weeks. And then those other pages also left over the summer. So I was the only one who had ever worked the SNL desk for the 25th anniversary. So I uh, trained the new pages on the page desk. And part of what we did was we escorted talent uh, from, I think, I think it was always on 49th street. I think it was, you know, because there's a red carpet set up. I have amazing pictures of me just in my page uniform, standing next to Molly Shannon and some other people. And, you know, you, and you were basically helping uh, people up. There were other pages that were assigned to really just escorting talent, but there were so many. I, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't even be able to guess how many former cast members and hosts and musicians were all on that show. You know, I mean, right. I, I, I had to go in the down the freight elevator to pick up the Eurythmics. You know, so uh -oh. it's you know, it's just there. Yeah, you, know, you were kind of being pulled in a lot of different directions. And look, there were people who had their choices for who they wanted to make sure they got. Uh, uh, a, a lovely girl that uh, I, 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 I'm still friendly with. She was determined to get uh, Jerry Seinfeld uh, to escort him up. And, you know, we were all about 23, 24 at the time. And I did tell her, you know, you're too old for him, right? So, you know, we, <laughs> but uh, she did get, but uh, more older. than anything, more than anything else, I was just like, oh man, I'd love to, I'd love to escort Dennis Miller up. And everybody, who? I'm like, yeah, that's who I want to get. So uh, I escorted a number of people up, but I did escort Dennis Miller. That's the that's the day that I first met him. Uh, I, I it was years before I told him about this, but I I got him out of his limo. I escorted him up, and uh, he said, "Yeah, I haven't been here since I left." And I'm and I knew that because I was a fan of the show. But I was like, "Oh yeah, why is that?" He's like, "Oh, it's a kind of place my wife doesn't really want me to hang around." <laughs> it was such an <laughs> honest thing for anybody who's ever been around that show. 
And, um, you know, and, uh, you know, so he just comes and he, I don't, I don't walk him to his dressing room because he just kind of like, you know, lunges past me and he's like, what's up boys. You know, and he starts like talking to everybody. But so I had that interaction with him and, you know, then I spend the better part of like 20 years working with him later, but, uh, it was fun. And you mentioned in the intro, um, I, I never actually worked with, uh, Billy Crystal. I have, uh, I have a friend who worked for his office for years out here in LA, but, um, I just escorted him up and he was like, oh, this is my old dressing room. And I think it was just completely at random. And he was telling me like, you know, oh, this is where Chris Guest was. You know, this is where, you know, he, he knew where everybody's was. And it was just such a random thing. And I'm like, I, I know I should get back down there, but I, I'm going to I'm going to sit here for story time with Billy Crystal, right. you know. Wow. So, so I'm going to unpack some of what you, what sure. you said. So so first of all, um, so well, you can start with uh, Jerry Seinfeld was dating a high school girl at the time. Is that where we want to start? Uh, Shoshana Lowenstein. Shoshana Lowenstein. Yes, sir. So first of all, right. So you worked. So you not only were you working the page desk, but you worked the physical 25th anniversary show. Correct. Right. Yes. OK, so that's OK. So that helps clarify because and again, which I've talked in the past, I started not too long before the 15th anniversary show. So I worked right. the 15th anniversary show and 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 um and I, it's funny I had Janice Panino. Did you know Janice Panino? So Janice did, was no. that was the head of our department at the time and I I I I mentioned this earlier but you know I begged her you know can I do some and she didn't schedule me to work that night. And I said, you know, I'll do anything. And Janice yeah. put me right in between security so every star that came to the building literally had to pass me and I had to like direct them into the elevator. So it was like, you know, I remember like, you know, Char uh, Charlton Heston and Penny Marshall and, you know, these, you know, insane stuff. And again, as a 22 year old kid or whatever it was, it was insane. So now fast forward to 25, which again, it, it, it's amazing. It's crazy. So you were assigned to work it and then you had so you were assigned outside and i and again i don't remember how it worked but they assigned talent escorts to so when so stars came out of their limos they that pages were then said yeah can, so can explain that again for for a normal show that is uh a, a, at least back in those days that was a specific assignment it was the basically a talent escort and you uh let me just put it this way. I was never going to get the talent escort uh, assignment. Uh, it's not that men didn't get it. They usually didn't. But if they did, they didn't look like me, you know, so <laughs> it was it was very it was very. And I believe they I believe they were encouraged to actually I think they did that out of uniform. You know, they they were encouraged to dress up. So you would just escort the talent into the building. But that night. There's just too many. So they're basically pulling everybody, uh, you know, getting a turn, you know, basically the you know, there's those three phones. Anybody who's seen the show where they go outside the even to this day when they go outside that desk, they're you know outside the studio doors. There's the desk where there's like the three phones. And uh, yes, those three phones do always ring at the same and time. Actually, no I'm going to pause you there. I'm sure. going to I'm going to give a shout out to Mr. Joe DeTulio, who was on the one of our previous podcasts. Sure. He when he started at SNL when he started as on the low job at at Silent Live as like a designer it was his idea that uh, originally there was a desk there there was a metal desk and we used to bring up the phones in a bin 
from the guest relations. So we would literally lug up this big desk, you know, thing of phones sure. and, and key whatever. And then when Joe got the assignment, he was like, what the hell is this? And then when he got the the I guess it was an art director position at SNL, uh, George Mendez, which we'll give a shout out to George Mendez. Yeah. Um, he said, well, you know, come up with something that you want to do. And it was Joe DiTullio that said, I'm going to build a new desk where for the love of God, we'll leave the keys locked up. We'll leave the phones locked up and, and make it an actual working desk. So to this day, I believe Joe told me that they they I think they updated it a little bit. But that original desk that looks really cool. And then I think he worked a little bit on the Conan desk. Anyone that sees that desk, it was built and designed by a former NBC page, which is now working for Senate Live. So I just want to give a shout out to Joe. Yeah, and it's no, cool absolutely. That you mentioned and that, and that desk, uh, by the time that I was there, that desk was gorgeous. And uh, by the way, the, the phones were not locked up because uh, I would uh, go up there sometimes and uh, uh, make long distance phone calls. Uh, occasionally, oh, sure. they were. It, occasionally international phone calls. So uh, yeah, they were not locked up. Well, you know what? I have to, I have to comment on that too. You blow in my mind because I remember that in the pay that that there were some phones and I think there was a uh, and and uh, the phone in the lounge in the page lounge, there was a phone like in the back that yeah. some of these phones, if you knew the code, it was like nine one eight nine eight two nine two six. It yes. would allow you to make these long distance calls. And that is hilarious because I remember doing that. And by the there time were I was a page, there was a there was like a post-it pinned uh, that had that code on it. Oh, my um, God. and also uh, you you could just tell the operator that you were one of the producers on the show and you needed an international line and they would dial it for you. Uh, allegedly, I think the statute of limitations is, uh, right, is long is up on this stuff. Wow. You just blew my mind because I haven't I haven't even thought of that in this yeah. entire time. But and again, for those kids today. Uh, yeah, making a long distance phone call was a big deal. Now you do it oh, like yeah. it's nothing, but back then it was you know ninety seven dollars for two minutes. Um, yeah. Okay, so now you're so you're at the desk, um, and I totally sidetracked your conversation. That's fine. You uh, yeah. So you're at the desk, and you had the, you were the phones. You were sitting there. You, um, you know. Yeah. You know, so I was just talking about kind of describing what it was like. Is that anybody you know who's ever seen the show when they go out there? They still do it recently. And and what I'm impressed is like, man, they have such nicer phones than we did. This was the late '90s, and all the phones were clearly from the '70s. You right. know, they. Uh, I mean, they worked well. They were really sturdy. But uh, now they have nice phones. Now the pages have nicer uniforms than we ever did. I think they might not even be polyester, but don't hold me to that because I don't actually. I, I heard. Know this. I heard that they're that they're um that they're wool. They, they, I heard yeah. they're like like a designer wool beautiful outfits. Well, yeah. I I hope they get a chance to dry clean them more than twice a year, like uh, some <laughs> of us did. But uh, let's let's just it's hope. Funny. I I was very good. I, I I personally brought my my uniform to the dry cleaner often, and I would have my shoes cleaned. I was very very weird good for you um, no i had to wait i had a i had an assignment out at cnbc in fort lee and they didn't need me to wear my uniform so i finally got it dry and cleaned that was like i'd been there for like five months so right. normally they, they would just stand up by themselves in the corner you yeah just oh yeah exactly <laughs> they, they could give the tour itself uh yeah uh, so that was one of the most fun nights and you know uh for me there were some very 
you know, you know, getting to meet Dennis Miller, he was somebody that I looked up to. And it's just more ironic that uh, I ended up working for him for a while. But Victoria Jackson was so sweet. She had been on the same time as Dennis and Dana Carvey and Lovitz and that group. She was like nervous. She's like, I feel like I'm going to throw up. And I'm like, it's such a genuine moment. Uh, Mary Gross, who had been on with Eddie and Piscopo that era, she just wanted to. Uh, I oh, I talked my way into the uh, after party, which was up in the Rainbow Room. Um, I don't think I was supposed to be there, but uh, nobody threw me out. So because people kind of recognized me. So, uh, but anyway, so Mary Gross just asked if she could sit at my table, and I'm like, yeah, of course you can. Yeah, she's just like my. You like hell? So you take much, my chair? What, you know? Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. I mean, you, you, you know, you were off Alpha. You, you know, whatever you want to do, please. And she she's just like, yeah, I don't usually wear shoes like this. It hurts so much. And so I talked to her for a while. She's very sweet. It was a great night. You know, I mean, it's like there's there's definitely some low moments from having been a page, but nothing that compares to low moments. I had at jobs outside of the industry, but that was definitely a high moment that made up for really everything else. You know, every bad tour where you realize that uh, no one who bought a ticket speaks english or knows any of these shows so you know it's it would be nice to practice i guess when you would do those kind of tours wow and you know and again like it was because because i uh well first of all when i had the page desk and i was i was there during the week prior to the 15th again i'm sitting at the desk and all of a sudden i see chevy chase walking down the, the hallway or he was in front of me, let's say. And then Dan Aykroyd walked in and I saw them literally like, yo, do you know, oh, and they hug in and kiss in and yeah, yeah. oh, my God. And literally one legend after the next walks in and I'm and I'm I'm sitting at the desk and I'm watching them, you know, greet themselves as they were. You know, it was like it was like right out of cheers. You know, the door opens up, another person walks in and each each celebrity was bigger than the next. And I'm witnessing history which is why we call this a page in history um you know we're watching history happen and it's like it's like for for i'd give a thousand tours you know naked if i had to to experience that <laughs> right. luckily i didn't have to but you know what i'm yeah. saying it really was truly amazing and to experience be a part of that um is is insane you know so so again you you know you, you being part of it it's so funny at the 25th yeah. It's yeah, priceless. and just uh, just you know, uh, sometimes we had to be seat fillers during that show. I think I was there for when the Beastie Boys came out with Elvis Costello. He started playing Radio Radio as a throwback to when he was on the show. Uh, the the only time he'd been on the show, he had uh, apparently been banned from the show after that. Uh, and that was just you know, from whether it was from being an intern or being a page, just the the closeness that you'd get to the music on any of these shows. Just because, you know, you would have what they call the studio stay. So I the amount of music I would usually try and get the second half of Late Night with Poe and O'Brien, where I would stand on the wall and make sure that, uh, you know, because there there were uh, 198 seats in there. And I think they would have 10 people standing and they were allowed to sit during the commercial. But as soon as it came back, you'd have to tell them to stand up so that you could kind of stand there. So I was like, oh, I, I was kind of want to see the music. Conan, especially in those days, he had like amazing music. SNL, of course, had great music back then, but it was, you know, once a week, you know. So uh, but so just the some of the music that I got to see, I mean, I remember watching like a, a newly uh, sort of semi reunited uh, Jane's Addiction with Flea, like on the studio floor that Thursday, watching them rehearse. And it was just like, I mean, there were a 
15 of us, you know, right, when it was somebody people. like you two, when it was somebody like you two rehearsing, then they would close the studio and, and, and they would close the curtain up top, you know, when it was a really big band, but uh, I, I even saw Aerosmith though. So, you know what I mean? It was like, there it maybe since there was a preference uh, and I'm sorry, you're about to ask me. No, no, I was going to say, we've talked about this before, but, but tell everybody uh, who may be listening for the first time, uh, what it you know what the studio looks like when they rehearse, how you got in, and what that experience was like. Yeah, I mean it's interesting because uh, when I interned at Conan, there was a segment producer there who also worked for SNL, a guy named Dan Ferguson. So I would go with him, and he knew everybody, so it was fine. So that was easy. When I was a page, sometimes you could go in because the door was open on the on the eighth floor. Uh, other times, uh, if the door was closed, then you knew, like, don't don't try to go in there. Don't pretend you have an excuse. Uh, sometimes you could just watch from the, the overlook on the ninth floor. And sometimes tours could watch. Usually, the, you know, it would just be through the glass. But, yeah, there would be times, like, if, you know, you took a tour at, on a Thursday afternoon in those days, you could, you know, you, you probably wouldn't get to see, like, the Backstreet Boys or something. But, you know, for the most part, they would let people watch because they weren't in the studio. So... There were a lot of ways to see things uh, in that studio, depending on which corner you cut through. You know, if you went right. through the the near the control room where the craft services were, uh, and uh, a lot of times though, your assignment was to be on the floor to make sure nothing got out of hand and nothing unruly happened. My favorite uh, TV, my my favorite show assignment was Cedar on the eighth floor at SNL for. For dress or the live show, uh, because it's 39 seats, 18 on each side. And you just basically pull the tape off and you go, go ahead. You don't actually figure out where they sit. And then as it gets to five minutes before the show, it doesn't matter who that seat's being held for. You have to put somebody in it. And it doesn't matter how A-list they are. If they show up late, they're not going to get to sit there. So you know, we might have been able to figure out a way to get our friends into the show sometimes. So then I'd have to remember where my friends were. And I, I got so many people sat in the front row <laughs> because somebody didn't show up. I would just like, you got to come with me right now. And they're like, why? Just trust me. Because, yeah, they feel like you're getting pulled out of the audience. They're like, what did I do wrong? I'm like, this is this is going to be great. You're going to be right. you just have to come right now. So uh, but then you're you know, you're there the whole like first really the first half of the show you know, and you're just standing there watching everything. And and even from when I was an intern, I was always fascinated by dress rehearsal because for people who don't know, dress rehearsal is a half an hour longer. Uh, Weekend Update has more jokes. There's sketches that you never see. And then there's always that question of whatever happened to that really funny sketch that right, so uh, was better than all of them that actually never made it to the air, you know? So and, I, uh, I'm going to pause you because again, you, sure. you mentioned like 50 things that I just want to sort of, yes. uh, I, I need to, I should write these down. So first of all, again, for the listeners, because you mentioned a bunch of things that are, that are really cool just to sort of clarify for listeners. One is, uh, let's see, where do we start? One is the, you have the, for those that watched, you know, watch it, you have the eighth floor, there's a bunch of seats and then you have the ninth floor. So, Basically, the eighth floor, for the most part, um, the the VIPs. There was a line outside the the eighth uh, the eighth eight uh, H door where the page desk is. So the eighth floor. If you're on the eighth floor, generally you know somebody. It's either the friends yes. of the bands, you're you're a celebrity or something. So when you watch the show, the folks that are on the eighth floor were were the bigwigs. And me as the page, I was the key page for SNL. 
I ran that line and I also was the one to seat folks, you know, on the eighth floor as well. And again, I don't know how they, if it changed, but you know, so I sort of managed. It's pretty much, it's pretty much the same thing. Yeah. Same thing. yeah from okay. When I, and, but also, I mean, now it's like 24 years ago that I was doing this. So who knows right. what it's like, you know, right. in this day and age, but it seems like it's pretty much the same thing. And obviously sometimes for the monologue or sketches, there's plants, you know, there's like a cast member in a seat. Right. So then you'd have to, you know, bring somebody off to the side for a little bit and then sit them back down. Uh, you know, uh, but I mean, that's like, a lot of times it's like the the famous people, the pretty people, they're there because they're going to they'll definitely be on camera to some extent, you know, right. oh, and oh. Uh, yeah. So, that yeah. So but standing there on the eighth floor, just watching them move the sets was like, I, you know, just growing up, loving the show. I was just fascinated by how quickly they can do that, you know. Right. Which, which OK, so we'll hold that note. So, I, again, we're just going to finish the, the seat. So with the seats again, um, there was uh, on the eighth floor, those seats, those wooden chairs were some they weren't all taped and taped and hold, held. The, some of them had literally masking tape on them. So, again, for the listeners, if you were, let's say, Bono, I don't know, and you're sitting yeah. in the front row, there's physically some masking tape that literally has the word Bono on it. Now, you, if you were working the eighth floor, seating the audience at at 11.25, if Bono, if that seat that has masking tape on it, if Bono decided that he was too cool for school and I'm <laughs> going to walk in at 11.31, well, your job at, at a, and actually I noticed that you noticed that, that you noted the count of the chairs. Do you oh, remember yeah. the actual time where they say, okay, for the love of God, we're pulling this tape because we need to fill it. Do you remember what is time it, that was? Is I, it eleven twenty-eight? Really is it? I thought it was eleven twenty-five. I I think that you know they they would keep checking with you. It was like, are they here yet? And yeah, I mean, because you know that's it's who the president was was there. If the front row seat was held for Chelsea Clinton, uh, if it got to eleven twenty-nine and Chelsea Clinton wasn't there, it doesn't matter when her Secret Service shows up. She's going. You know, honestly, if you're famous enough, you're probably going to go get to sit with Lauren and some of the other producers. So you'll you'll right. you'll get a cool seat your own way, right. but you won't get that seat. Yeah. Right. So again, for the listeners, um, you know, those seats are held, but as you mentioned, it could be eleven twenty-five, eleven twenty-eight. Yeah. But at some point, and again, um, the person who may be listening, there was a big a big scandal um, because someone's seats were pulled, uh, you know, but it was probably 1128, 1129. And the decision was made to pull those tickets to pull those seats. And someone did show up, but it was past the, the train, you know, like yeah. it was past the point of no return. And there, and a, and it was a huge thing went down. But again, in fairness to the management of the pages and the fairness to the pages, our job, because Lauren Michaels would come down and cut your balls off if the seat, if the if those seats upstairs and downstairs were not filled at 1130, that was the end of that. You, you know, you would be yeah. you would be escorted out of the building. So I, I want to make that clear. And it, it was, a you know, and again, it's we're not we're not doing brain surgery, but 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 our job was to fill those seats and make sure it happens. So what, what were you going to say? Yeah, you had to be you had to be good at it. You had to be very quick and you had to be able to think quickly. You know, you'd have to know that if you weren't like me and trying to put one of your friends in the front row, you would go up to the ninth floor, pull somebody from the back row 
or, you know, sometimes uh, this wouldn't happen for SNL, but for other shows, sometimes they would put pages in the audience and they would tell us to take our pins off or maybe even take our jacket right. off. Right. Uh, that would happen more for uh, Conan or even Rosie O'Donnell, which was a very, very tough ticket uh, the years that, that I was around there. But yeah, so it's uh, it, it's like sort of like very stressful, but it's fun, you know, because right. you're part of like, you know, get it, you know, and then it's like, oh, I saw that person and they're they're right next to the the writer that is pretending, you know, that they have a question for uh, for whoever the host is, you know. So right. it was very fun to be a part of just from somebody who, you know, like I said, grew up loving the show. And when I was an intern. I was up on the 15th, uh, 17th floor, uh, usually just watching stuff on the monitor. And if they needed anything, somebody called up, we would bring stuff down, but we didn't get to hang around down there. Um, and when I interned, I, I I didn't, I made it so I didn't have any classes. My I actually had no classes my senior year. I got everything out of the way. So I actually interned at SNL six days a week, but it was only 10 weeks because that's how many shows they did. So I was always around and, uh, you know, when you're always around, people do kind of remember you or at least take notice you know, sometimes. Right. So, right. So and hold that thought. I'm going to we're going to go back to those chairs because I'm going to give it some yeah. little in that. So uh, Joe DiTulio and I and I can't it's like everything is becoming a big blur for me because I can't remember if I'm <laughs> I can't remember these conversations if, they, if I recorded them. But but Joe uh, told me that the chairs, the chairs that are that are those wooden chairs originally were built and constructed by and i i forget it was one of the four original designers that worked on snl but they were boat chairs they were they were like chairs from a boat or something and they oh, okay. they constructed them and sort of you know built them with the stands on the bottom so the same chairs over 50 years they've been the same boat chairs and again, one would say, well, just go to Kmart and buy some chairs. <laughs> but if you've watched the show for 50 years, it's the same set of chairs. Now, Joe, uh, another shout out, he built in on Fifth Avenue. There was a a um, uh, a tribute, an SNL exhibit. And Joe was tasked of recreating many of the sets of SNL. So he literally built uh, or had them made chairs that looked exactly like the ones that were on the SNL floor, you know, the, the real ones. Um, and of course they would, they would look identical. And Joe was sort of hoping of, of using those chairs as like sort of replacements for the ones that got damaged over the past 50 years, because anytime they, if once they break or damage, they have to fix them because that's the chair. And then apparently something tragic happened and, and those chairs that they made for the, for this, this uh, expo they disappeared so again oh. just just sort of kind of cool is that those chairs again we don't think of it but they're very heavy duty chairs and that's the look and that's what they've been using and they could have used anything but that's what they want to stick with i've been lucky enough to sit in those chairs i was able to get into a dress rehearsal let's see it was 2009 because my sister-in-law went to nyu she was graduating off college and she'd always wanted to see the show so i talked to a a manager out here in la who was able to put me in there he was so pissed when he found out i was asking for the season finale but that's the show i wanted and so we, but it was for the dress rehearsal which i actually just always preferred because you got to see more of it uh, but uh, and so I sat in, in those chairs 
And you realize how practical they are because the sets are every different direction and they're great swivel chairs. You're not yeah. any less comfortable facing in any direction. They're the perfect chairs. So I can That's see why point. they would be so hesitant to replace them. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, once you sit in them, you kind of get it. And, uh, and I don't think I ever actually sat in them when I was wow. out. That's so, funny. Okay. Yeah. Now you just mentioned another thing. Which, which, so you mentioned the dress rehearsal and air. Now, again, for those that may be joining us for the first time, most people probably like what what are you talking about what is it sure. what do you mean it's not so explain to the folks what the dress yeah. rehearsal is and what the air show is and and they will be shocked to learn like oh my god you you got to be kidding me so tell us about that yeah so the the live show and uh, that was a question that we would get sometimes as pages when do they record the show <laughs> and right. uh, you just say well like the name implies it's saturday night live at 11:30 Eastern and uh and you know so it's uh that's at 11:30 and Lauren has said many times and been quoted in interviews is the the show doesn't go on because it's ready the show goes on because it's 11:30 and yeah when you realize how much time they have you know uh the dress rehearsals at 8 p.m. it's usually about 2 hours the dress rehearsal can start a little late it usually started pretty much right at 8 maybe 8:01 couple times there was something, you know, it, it started five, 10 minutes late, but they can't go too late because as soon as they're done, they start figuring out which jokes worked, what they're going to rewrite, which sketches they're going to cut. And I was sort of alluding to that earlier in terms of the sketches. It's a lot of like, well, what, what was the host most interested in that does get factored in, but it is not the be all and end all. Uh, it's what played well with the audience, but also very important. Who wrote the sketch, which writer wrote that sketch uh people know adam mckay is a very accomplished director the era that i was an intern if adam mckay wrote the sketch it probably got on uh and sometimes at the expense of a much funnier sketch a sometimes a similar sketch uh and uh, i've i've told the story before but uh, there there was a time that uh, Jim Brewer was very unhappy about a sketch that had been cut in place of one that was not as funny. And uh, I believe the way he tells the story, uh, you know, when it came to the summer, Lauren was like, mm, you're too nice for this show, you know, yeah. but he was he was very right. visibly pissed. And there there's nothing like the hierarchy on that show compared to any show that I worked on before or since or during uh, you know, and there's definitely there's a there's a few cool kids table and then there's everybody else. And there's people who are super nice. You know, uh, the, the the people who were on the staff, the research department I worked with, everybody was really great there. And, you know, when you go over to some a lot of the writing assistant, the writing PAs, very nice. The talent department on the other side, on the 17th floor, here is a little intimidating because uh and uh, David Spade referred to Lauren's assistants as the Lornettes because there were always three. And uh, you, I, I do know some men who were Lauren's assistants over the years, but usually three women uh, sometimes looked very similar. And uh, Spade would refer to them as the Lornettes. Uh, and if you were on that side, you had to be quiet you had to keep your head down. You just didn't want to be noticed. And I would have to pull weekend update jokes off the fax machine. It was over on that side. So, and uh, I mean, that was like a crazy thing too, because you're, you're getting these faxes and you're organizing them. And I remember some of the names 
they're people who would go on to be, you know, supervising producers on Family Guy and really big names, but they were sending Weekend Update jokes to uh, Colin Quinn, who, by the way, took over Weekend Update the first week I was an intern. So okay. there was Wait, a lot uh, of trauma there. Okay, so I'm going to pause because, again, I, I should be writing this down because you, you you mentioned so many cool things. So, again, just to sort of backtrack um, for the listeners, just so it's clear, the show that you see at 1130 they literally did a two-hour version of exactly what you're going to see at live, but it is what's called the dress rehearsal. Now, some folks that try to get tickets to see Saturday Night Live, they finally wait an entire year or years till they finally get tickets. The tickets arrive in the mail, and it says <laughs> dress rehearsal. So the fact is that there are folks that they that we the whole audience comes in, the whole thing is done. And it's a two hour show. And that two hours, if if let's say someone gets splashed in the face with a soda or they something blows up, whatever, they have to recreate all of that stuff. If they make a mess on the set, the costumes get ruined. Everything has to be, you know, duplicated. So the so they do the show for two hours. And then, as you mentioned, you know, they can't go too long because in between the dress from eight to let's say 10 ish, right? Eight to 10 ish, maybe. Yeah, it's um, about it's no, about eight to ten, yeah. Two hours. They will then say, OK, out of what we just did, what is funny and what is not funny? And of course, I always make the joke, you know, the the air show is an hour and a half and they cut 30 minutes. Could you imagine what they cut? <laughs> what was not funny? <laughs> yeah, which which most weeks you're right. But every once in a while, there'd be that one sketch where you're like, how the hell did not that not get on TV and then not get on the next week or the week? You know what I mean? All there right. There would be those sketches that it never made sense. But you're absolutely right. There's a lot of times where you're like, Ooh, okay, this is definitely getting cut because it didn't play. And yeah, they would do, uh, you know, maybe three extra sketches. I might be guessing they would use more jokes on Weekend Update. It would go longer. Uh, but yeah, so you got more show. And honestly, your night was over at 10 o'clock. You know, do you want to be, you know, looking for a cab? on sixth Avenue at 1am, maybe some people, you know, but right. I, I would always tell people you're more likely to get into the dress rehearsal. Uh, you know, when we would give out standby tickets, which you mentioned in there, and I would, I would advise, I'm like, I know it, it seems like it would be cool to go to the live show. You're more likely to get into the, to the dress rehearsal. I don't know how many people listened to me, how many actually got the tickets. Uh, when I told people to send in, you know, those mailing the postcard in, uh, very few of those people uh, ever actually yeah, so got tell in. And that's not that that's because as you were talking about, you're talking about all the big wigs on the eighth floor, but on the uh, on, up on the ninth floor, that's 250 seats up there. Most of them are like executives or, you know, uh, sponsors seats. You know, that's a lot of there is general public up there legitimately plenty. But just again, depending on who the host is uh, and who the musical guest is, sometimes there's a lot less. It's a lot of favors called in. There's people who worked at NBC. I would talk to they worked at NBC for like 20 years at that point. And they're like, yeah, I've never seen an SNL. I've never been able to get anybody that I know. So really it depended on what you did. And the pages would input the information from these postcards. And we legitimately would put some in. It was like maybe 20 people, 40 tickets at most an episode, for, well, okay. for especially I, for the live show. So I'll pause you there. So first of sure. all, um, again, if if folks wanted tickets for, if someone wanted to, well, well first, well, let's see. First, we'll talk about if they wanted tickets, then, um, then of course, when people asked us for tickets. So just tell people, if if like today, if I said to you, hey, you know, I want to Christian, I want to go to SNL. 
what do I do? So tell people what that process is. So if you're just, if you're in the general public and you don't know anybody that you can call to try and call a favor, and it's apparently much harder now than it ever was before. And it was very hard. Uh, you're supposed to send in a postcard. It has to be postmarked in August. Anything that comes in before that, we would throw it away in guest relations. As soon as August comes, you, you we keep the bin. And then you would just kind of go through it. And, uh, you know, it, there it was supposed to be completely at random. But uh, I had a friend who was from the Philly area. So he's like, yeah, whenever he saw anybody from Pennsylvania, he would put them in. You know, it was just like, yeah. And of course, when so, there was. It was it, we had milk crates and they were just filled with cards. Yeah. So there's like thousands of postcards. So him pulling some from Philly. Well, if it wasn't the guy from Philly, there was four thousand other postcards yeah. we could have grabbed. So would have been somebody from Ohio. Yeah, and exactly. Most of them. Yeah. And then uh, by the time I worked there, uh, there was uh, it was like data entry. It was a program on a computer. They only had right. like two computers where you could do this. But we right. did it for uh, for all the shows. It was uh, you know for Conan, it was easy. Uh, a lot. There's a certainly a, a good point in Conan's history where, you know, you couldn't you couldn't call and ask for tickets that day. You might not be able to go to tomorrow, but you could probably go that week. Right. You know, I the first time I ever went to go see Conan, it was because I I couldn't get Letterman tickets. It was in uh, <laughs> right. early early ninety four. It was my spring break from college. And it was I called up and they're like, well, when do you want to come? I'm like, oh, I don't know. When do you have tickets? They're like, do you want to come tomorrow? I'm like, sure. <laughs> Right. So, because, again, you know, people would have to for SNL and Letterman Letterman. You basically it was a year wait. It was a year yeah. to get Letterman tickets. And then for SNL, it could be never. So, yeah. again, and, and by the way, for most people, it was never for SNL. Right. Like they could send that postcard in every year and just, you, you know, just law of averages, even if every seat in that that uh, in that studio was from those postcards, you still wouldn't necessarily get in because it's so many. So, right. uh, yeah, so that's basically how it, the the composition of the audience worked. It's something you mentioned in the intro, and it is one of my favorite things that I used to do. It's a story that uh, um, my my friends, uh, Andrew and Shalair, would come down to watch me do this on Saturday mornings where you talk to the people who lined up for standby tickets. Yes. Now, that's you don't have a ticket. You can line up that morning, that Saturday that there's a show and we would give out standby tickets. And you would tell people, you let us know, do you want the dress rehearsal? Do you want the live show? Most people want the live show because they want to be there when it's live. And like I said, I would tell people like, you're going to get more show. It's going to be earlier. Now, tell, tell you, you mentioned this time. I just, just quickly sure. said, like, explain to folks what that is actually like, sure. like no, what, that's what, what I was getting to. Yeah. So okay. you're literally showing up and waiting in a line outside. Um, I don't think on Friday, Friday night. Scare, I, Friday night. Uh, yeah, you start lining up Friday night. That's right. That's right. a great point. Um, and, you know, we give them out like 9 a.m. on Saturday, I think. And they were numbered. And they were, you know, these tickets came from a very specific printer. They possibly could have been counterfeit, but it would be very hard to get them to look exactly Tom, like this. Tom Wade, Tom Wade, God bless him, he has passed away. But Tom Wade would print those tickets. Yeah. And they were a different color yeah. every week and you didn't know what color they were going to be. And you didn't know exactly, you know, what it was going to say on it. Um, so, yeah, so you're out there and you're literally waiting overnight, regardless of what the weather is. And uh, I don't remember his name, but there's a guy who was always the in the front spot. Uh, he had a chair. Yes. I'm going to tell you what his name is right now. It's um, and it's funny because I, 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 as you would see him every day, it was, yeah. um, 
It, I'm, it'll come to me. I yeah, basically, he, he, I, he, he's been I to every show. Every, I don't, yeah, I, I, don't, I was going to say, I don't know if now he's still been to every show, but he, at, so, at the time I was there and the time since, he had gone to every show uh, and he was always in the front seat. And yes, that number one ticket did always get in. But I, I, I just, you, can you, I just mention, yeah, let me just talk about that for a second. So yeah, sure, go basically, ahead. I, I, I know it's funny because in, in a different podcast, I, I had his name, I wrote it down and I remember. So, so again, well, folks this is recorded. Would, so you can just go back and be like I, Larry Johnson. Yeah, you know, I forget. Exactly. I'm so smart. Yeah, right. The um, so the issue is again, people would would get there Friday night and they would sleep over into Saturday morning to get these standby tickets. And basically, there was one gentleman, and I it'll come to me. I, I don't I, know if I, I ever knew his name, that's why I oh, I used, to, I used yeah. to sit and talk to him. For, I would because yeah. what I would do, and again, I'm so anal about it, and I was so excited, I would go out Friday night and I'd have conversations with all of them. And I just like talking to him because they were so sure. excited. I would answer questions, whatever. And then if I was handing the the tickets out on that morning, I would see him. But this guy, for every show, I think since 1975, would show up uh, every Friday night, sleep over, and then and then he would always basically be number one. And then Lorne Michaels was is well aware, well aware of him. And no matter what it was, he was getting in. But yes. to his credit, you know, he would he would come in and he was actually handicapped and he had some um, uh, crutches. So, you know, it could be a thousand degrees out and he's in, in main hall. It's one hundred and fifty degrees out. He's sweating his thing. And he's or in, by the way, it could be 20 degrees outside before or 20 show, degrees outside. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And he would he did it day in and day out. And I and I personally love chatting with him because you got to give the guy credit. <laughs> you got to give the guy props, you know. So it was it really. And again, he he's someone that almost should be part of SNL lore, you know, because he did. He came every single episode. And and again, I don't know where he is today. But yeah, I, I, I don't I don't know the status of his health. I don't know, you know, if he's still with us. I don't know how, you know, if the streak ever ended. Uh, I hope I hope that he still goes to every show. I love that idea that uh, for almost 50 years now, you know, that right. he saw. And and some of those shows were a little bit of Lewis, busy, you know, Lewis. His name is Lou. Okay. Lou. His name okay, is so Lou. Lou, would always be there. Lou. It's Lou. So well, anyway, so uh, people were so excited and I could relate to that excitement, having been such a fan of television and such a fan of this show. Um, and I kind of got because I, I really wanted people to understand. So I would hold up the little bundle of tickets and I would say, the uh, I would you know say good morning and say these tickets guarantee nothing. They're going to give you a place in line. There's a number on the back, and I would I would explain. I it was definitely I I wasn't trying to be mean, but perhaps my friends felt like I could have been nicer. It was definitely <laughs> tough love though. I yeah. wanted them to right, know right right that you're not getting in just because you have this. Right, if you're at the front of the line. You have a much better chance. There would be shows where like pretty much the whole standby line would get in it just for whatever reason. Like right. I know that there'd be blizzards, there'd be things like that that would happen that totally uh, a lot of standbys would get in, but usually it was a very small number. Um, and 
that's another part of what we were talking about the the chaos of looking to try to seat somebody on the eighth floor you know you could it could be a standby person who thought they weren't getting into the show but they were still there at 11 25 in the lobby you know they were held right. there so explain, like, so explain that so, explain that right. so now so yeah, now yeah. you give all these tickets out and then you're like yeah. come back at 11 maybe at 11 o'clock they came i back. think we would tell them to come back at 11 unless uh, or 7 30 for the dress rehearsal oh yeah so sorry i yeah, that's so, so, I, I got distracted my okay. i distracted myself with my own my own self-referential story okay. so i would tell people i'm like you're gonna have a better chance to get into dress rehearsal but it's fine if you want the live show i would just say it once you know if somebody said i want the live show i wasn't like are you sure you know it's fine <laughs> they i i told them what i thought um and we would give them out and Somebody could correct me on this. I think we give out a hundred for each show, but it might even have been more than that. But there was a set number. So if the line was a thousand people, they didn't all get tickets. Um, so and then you could go about your day and you didn't have to come back until 730 for the dress rehearsal or 11 for the live show. So you could go have a fun day in New York, not just stand in the line. Uh, you had to hang on to those tickets. They were they were numbered. But I did stress that you're not necessarily getting in. This is only if we need people. This is if people don't show up. And for this show in particular, for Saturday Night Live, most people showed up. Not everybody. Things happen. You know, there would be openings. I definitely sat a number of very excited standby ticket holders uh, in my years as a page. Well, I guess it was only one year as a page, but in my time as a page. In your months uh, as a page. <laughs> it, it, felt, it felt like years at times. But right. uh, yeah, so that's basically how the distribution of them went. And they really did. They they kept you right uh, until like right before either show started, because especially with the dress rehearsal, people didn't show up. So that's why I was like, yeah, we we'd get pretty deep into that standby line. So, uh, so explain when, that. Well, so explain yeah. that. So so now it's let's we'll use the dresses. So the dress rehearsals here, it's uh, yeah. it's eight o'clock or it's seven thirty. And, yeah. and and you're feeling, you know, and again, what what people don't understand which which we've talked about in the past. It's a it's a it's a skyscraper. There's two elevators. Every yeah. single person that goes into that suit. It's not like we can. It's not like a, a AMC theater where they open the doors and and a, and a five hundred people could walk in. Every single person that goes into that studio has to go in a goddamn elevator, which only fits twelve people at a time. Yep. So each all the elevators 12, 12, 12, 12, 12 and, and we have a couple hundred folks that go in. So now we're we're getting close to air. And all of a sudden, the people in the studio are like, oh, my God, Christian, we're we, we're short. We got five minutes. So take it away. We need we. Yeah, we need 10 people, you know, so then you go down. And one of the one of the best things about being a page is you had that key for yeah. those two elevators. There were elevators that you could call and they come right to you if you turn the key. Right. Uh, and um, I still have that. We key were not. Uh, I do. <laughs> we were not supposed to abuse that key, but maybe just maybe we did. Uh, but on those nights, uh, it, it, it's it's the difference between people getting into the show and, and right. the show starting with empty seats. And you would just go down and you you would tell whoever was, you know, the, there would be another page in charge of the standbys. And you're like, yeah, I need the first 10. And they would have already been screened through metal detectors. I, I don't know. They probably didn't do that when you were there. But by the time that I, that we yeah, were we there, they that, definitely. Yeah. yeah, we definitely had metal detectors. And this was this is 99. So uh, obviously it was a little bit different. Uh, so, uh, you know, in the years since, I mean, but in any case, that's how you would get them. And, you know, they, you would fill the audience and, and they said, give me 10, give me, they said, give me 10, give me 10. Now you would get 10 people up and then all of a sudden, like now it's, uh, let's say it's two minutes to air and they go, 
give me seven. So you have to now go outside in the standbys and you're like, quick, seven more. Yeah, people. Seven more. Go, go, yeah. go, go. And you literally had. And it's funny because you guys had the the um, the the melt detectors. We didn't have that. So now you yeah. have to check everyone. And get them upstairs. Well, no, they would like, be they would be pre-screened oh, by pre-screened. that point. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Because otherwise, this wouldn't work. Okay, the, okay. the last so few good. minutes. Okay. Yeah. So I think okay. that I'm going to assume they learned that the hard way. You know that they would have them. You know, on the wrong side of the metal detectors at first. Okay. Then okay. they moved where the metal detectors were, probably. So yeah. So that's how you would get it, and it is part of that running around. Like I need to fill these seats, and no, it is. It is not the most important part of the show, but it is considered by the people who make the show important that there are. are 250, I guess, 288 people potentially there to laugh at the sketches and let them know how they play in a room. So there's a lot of that running around Uh, because we touched on the security aspect of it. I want to make sure we get to a story that you tease in the beginning. It does go back to the 25th anniversary. Yeah, let's go for it. Let's do it. And there were people who came by. Uh, in the days before the special people who weren't on the show, like Jane Curtin came by. She wasn't on the show. There were, uh, there were a few other people. Um, now he did end up doing the the cold open. He did a Nick the Lounge singer. So Bill Murray's in the lobby, and he's talking to this is this isn't Saturday, it's Thursday or Friday, and he's talking to you know the security person, which I think, you know, he hosted a few times after he left the show. I don't think he was expecting to be stopped, and he's like, uh, I'm sorry, what's your name? Or you want a list? Now, of course, he should be on a list. <laughs> and they were like looking and and the security people would know us as the pages. We're in uniform. They see us all the time. We're bringing people up in the tours. We talk to them. There's one who definitely didn't like me. But for the most part, we got along <laughs> How could that well. be? How could that and be? And I, I just I got their attention. I'm like, no, he, he's from the show. It's OK. I'm like, how do you you never seen Ghostbusters <laughs> like like that? Just that. Like there's there's a That's whole true. long list. There's right. so much. Have you seen reruns of the show? No. Okay. Maybe not. Okay. You didn't see what about Bob? Uh, all right. You saw that. You didn't see the man. Who knew too little. No, no. Yeah. 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 Right. Exactly. Nobody saw the man who knew too little, but everybody saw Caddyshack. So, uh, yeah. So that was like, I, I, but I'll tell you by 2002, I would not have been able to get Bomar in. I would have been like, oh no, he's okay. It's like, look, he's not on a list. He's not getting in like that. Definitely that building in particular, uh, definitely got more locked down, uh, especially after, you know, the what, anthrax arrived in, in uh, I think it was the mailbox for nightly news. So mm-hmm. just from knowing people who worked there in the years after that, it definitely changed a lot. But in 1999, a page could be like, yeah, this guy's famous. Can you let him through and have right. him go into the building? You know, so so you actually vouch you did vouch. For I was him. the one who vouched for Bill and, Murray, and you know that was my only interaction with him because he was just like, "Thanks," you know, because oh, okay. he was like he was mildly annoyed, which right. you know maybe right. it was a little off brand. You could have thought that he would have been like pissed, but he was just right. like, "All right, I guess, right. yeah." But he appreciated me making it a little quicker for him. It, so. it yeah, it is funny because it is true. Um, you know, there and again. You know, I could imagine this, the security guards, you know, they're not they're, they're just not, not just security guards, but they're security guards. They're not in TV. They, they don't care no, about sure. TV. Of course, the pages, of course, would know all these famous people, but all these famous people are coming through security. So they're like, I don't know who you are. You know, like, I don't know who you are. So it is kind of funny because anyone could just show up and just go try to get into the building. And of course, if they were famous, we we would know who they were. But um, but it's true, the security, unless you're on that list, 
you know, sorry, yeah. can't, can't come in. Um, we so had uh, the year I was a page, uh, uh, Howard Stern came down from, this is not when he was doing his radio show there. It was when he was on K rock, but it was a national show at this point. This is 1999. Uh, he, oddly he and Rosie O'Donnell mended fences and they amicably had interviews in the year since. But during his show, he brought some kind of, I don't know if he was just on the cell phone or if he had some kind of mobile uh, broadcast via microphone or something. But he came down to the lobby because he was determined to go upstairs and tell Rosie O'Donnell how much her show sucked. Mm -hmm. And he was on the air talking about it. So he came into the lobby and, you know, fans had kind of gotten uh, through and followed. And uh, we knew this was going on. So we were kind of just watching but security, of course, didn't let him know up, it let him go up. And he, of course, knew they weren't going to, but he just thought it would be he'd get right. the attention of the show. So there were times where it was like, you know, no one was going to tell Howard Stern he could go up there. That's a building right. where, no, you're not going to go up there. You're not going to be able to go tell Rosie O'Donnell, uh, you know, what you think of her show. So, oh, no. you know, the yeah. So it was, uh, you know, maybe. Maybe at uh, at the serious building, uh, he could uh, get away with something like that. But, uh, you know, not in those days, not at, not at NBC, for sure. Wow. So um, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll you touched on a couple of things. We'll we'll go back to now it's with uh, Colin Quinn when he was on uh, Weekend Update. And I worked uh, and again, I think by by contract, I have to mention Ken Hommel, uh, who who was my first guest for the podcast. He's Mr. Programming. But um, but Dennis Miller was you know the, the on the show when i was there and dennis right. used to warm up the audience and of course fly on the wall with dana carvey dane is making dennis jokes you know every 10 minutes so um oh and, and then when i was at the desk uh kevin nealon asked me if i thought if he thought he read me a joke and he's like which joke do you think is funnier and i told him which one i thought was funnier and then he's like no no i like the other joke and i was like <laughs> okay you know but yeah. so that's tell like, me your, that's like that's you know, like your wife saying, which outfit should I wear that? Yeah. One. No, right. I'm going to wear this one. <laughs> right. well, why did you ask me, Kevin Nealon? Right. So tell me what your experience was with a with Cal Colin Quinn. B, can yeah. you tell us the joke? C, how much money did you make? And D, how you became friends and then worked with Dennis Miller, which, sure. which again, there's we a, need the a... did, did you have the Dennis Miller to English dictionary to uh and I'll give a shout out to to Brian Grossman because he's also not a you know they, Dennis was you know you need a dictionary to figure out what the hell he was yes. talking about so so answer all those questions. Yes, I will answer all those questions, okay. and uh, I will I will shout out a podcast that I was on as a guest. I, I do not host this show, but a, a gentleman who uh, made a name for himself on uh, Barstool as Blind Mike because he's blind. Uh, he does a show called Why Are You Laughing. And uh, he had me on his Colin Quinn episode. So I told a lot of uh, background on one Colin Quinn's career, just, you know, and we played clips of some of the amazing stories, but I'll specifically speak to the Saturday Night Live aspect of it. And in January of 1998, uh, Norm MacDonald uh, gets fired from Weekend Update. And that is a show that could be done in and of itself. There's the perception of what that was and why that happened. Uh, the idea is that Don Olmeyer was friends with OJ Simpson and he didn't like all the OJ jokes. However, anyone who knows anything about that show, about NBC knows, if Lorne Michaels wanted Norm MacDonald to keep doing Weekend Update, he would have kept doing Weekend Update. 
Not not even right. for one second would anybody have been like, no, Lauren, I'm going to pull rank on you here. Don Almeyer could not have done that. Right. Interesting. Uh, yeah. 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 So uh, and look, they had a sense that this at that time in the late 90s, the show, the ratings were going down from Weekend Update onward. They experimented with having a guest after Weekend Update and only doing one song. There's a lot of different things that they did to try and fix that part of the show. And one of those decisions was to bring Colin Quinn in as host of Weekend Update. And he did an amazing monologue, his first show at the desk. You know, it's a job that he didn't ask for. He was given the opportunity. He liked Norm. He really liked Norm a lot. He felt like he was in a weird situation taking over. And, you know, you can I think you can find the audio of it. It's some of this stuff is very hard to find. NBC is very territorial about their clips, Yeah, uh, which is what, why which I clip, almost which, which clip. Is so because so Ken, Ken, Ken Hamill, yeah. Ken Hamill will find that clip and we'll put oh, it on I, the website. So, oh, I have it. Uh, oh, you do have it. Oh, OK. A, yeah. Yeah. He's like he's like, you know, if you go into your favorite bartender, you get used. You, you go into your favorite bar. You get to know the bartender. He knows what you like. And you know, and Joe's there every week when you come in and then one day you come in and Jim's there. He seems like a nice enough guy. He doesn't know what you like to drink, but you know, you figure it'll be fine. Well, hi, I'm Jim. What can I get you? Something like that. <laughs> it's way better. What Colin said. I'm just That's summarizing. Funny. That's it. actually very clip funny. is great. Okay. You can okay. find that clip. Okay. And, and then he just dove into the jokes and I just had the advent that I was an aspiring comedy writer and I wanted to figure out if I could submit jokes because I knew that people fax jokes, even within the first couple of weeks of being an intern. You, It was one of the things you would do is you would go and get them. And yes, they did fax them. They didn't email them. You had to fax them in. Um, and I, I uh, so I just wanted to get into the mix for that. Colin being new, there was no pushback from anyone. Uh, Mike Shoemaker, who went, who, well, he now produces The Tonight Show, but he left SNL to produce Late Night for Jimmy Fallon. He was in charge of the update segment. And a guy named Scott Weinstein, who still does the Weekend Update segment now, 24 years later. And Scott was the one who was like, yeah, sure, you can send us jokes, you know. Um, and so I would send jokes in. And the way that it worked, you uh, for Weekend Update, there would be a packet huge packet of jokes one joke per page the name of the writer their, their last name or maybe their first and last name was at the top their, yeah their name was at the top and part of that process was if you were a writer an actual staff writer in snl whatever level you were expected to submit like 10 jokes or so and then those are jokes that you're salaried as a writer but there would be freelance jokes and i've talked to a lot of people over different periods of time, uh, a guy named Steve Corin, who I think he either wrote, I was a page. I, he, I was a page yeah. with Steve, so we were. Steve Corin used to submit jokes to Dennis Miller, mm. and he uh, he got hired off of writing so many jokes. And Dennis is like, "You're you're too funny for me to." Steve and I, I have to jump into that. Steve, yeah, sure. And I and I'm trying to get him on the show, but I would drive. We would I would drive him home. We would park in Queens. I'd drive him. We would go together right. to, to the Chase Stadium. I'd drive him home. But he was all he and I think I've repeated this, but he he would always be telling me jokes and I'd be like, that's not funny. But he'd tell me another joke. And I'd be like, I don't know. That's really not funny. I'm like, I don't even understand what you're talking about. But to yeah. Steve's credit, he just kept going. Yeah. And it's funny because I don't know. I don't know this story. And now you're just, you know, um, yes, yeah. you know, well, he 
he's the best example because you know he he went on to write for Seinfeld and you know obviously a bunch of other things. He's great credits. He worked with Sam. The movies, a lot of movies. Yep, Adam Sandler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So he's an example of it. But you know, I mentioned pulling the faxes and you know people who would go on to uh, being very well paid working on a number of different shows. So I was lucky enough that I would send the jokes in. And it was definitely a matter of like, there would be weeks where I would turn in 40 jokes, but if I turned really? in 40 jokes, some of them would have the same setup and there'd be like four different punchlines. And, it, but if I did it, it was because I felt like 40 of them were funny. Some weeks I would do 10, 15, but I would turn in and I just felt like, I don't know what the person reading is going to think is funny. And I continued to think that throughout my career, I never knew for sure what they were going to think was funny. Uh, so it got to the point that Colin Quinn knew who I was because my last name, Blatt, B-L-A-D-T, is a little bit unique. So really to this day, he knows my first and last name because it used to be at the top of that page. He's always like, Richard Blatt, you know, like he knew who I was. Mm. And the the great thing about that is if I ended up in the elevator with Colin, he would just be like, Christian Blatt, what do you got? This is what we need. He would go through the like, you know, the stories from that week that they were still looking for more jokes on. So he was very encouraging. He was uh, always great. He, you know, certainly remembered me for years after this. Um, I got, uh, I didn't get a joke on, I wasn't actually in the building anymore. I got a joke on 2000. Uh, the episode was hosted by Ben Affleck and uh, guest uh, Fiona Apple. I was, wasn't even in New York. I just got home after a concert and I was watching it with some people. And I was like, I was like, oh, can you put on SNL? And I just be like, oh, I'm like, oh, I just want to see right. the news. Like, yeah, yeah. Fun. And it's funny because it's true. And God bless anyone because I torture the same. You know, it's like really, yeah. you know, but go on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, by the way, the greatest thing for my life is that uh, now the show is live on the West Coast at 830 because I'm not staying up till one o'clock. But the fact that I can watch it at 830 after I put my kids to bed or, you know, back it up and watch it at nine uh, makes obviously, uh, you know, a huge difference. But in any case, uh, so I finally was able to get a joke on and, uh, I think I'd gotten, somebody had told me I'd gotten one in dress rehearsal before, uh, but because I wasn't in the building anymore, I didn't get to do the thing that I always wanted to do. And people I knew, had, I, more than anything, I wanted the cue card for my joke, but I, oh, I, I wasn't there. Yeah. I couldn't get it. Oh. It's okay. I couldn't even get the script page. It was like all the things that I, that I could have done, you know, uh, I just, I just wasn't able to. And, you know, that's all right. You know, it's not the end of the world. Um, that would but, have been cool, though, to get to get. The yeah. Well, because, uh, yeah. Nice. Uh, uh, shout out to uh, Jack Helmuth, who uh, I got to know over the years. He was the one who had uh, he had cue cards and he made me realize I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what I really want more than anything else. But oh, look, wow. I got a joke on. And uh, when Dennis Miller did it, I know he gave personal checks for twenty five dollars. And I think that that's because it's NBC is not paying for it. The host is just personally, you know, it's like a freelance payment. Right. Uh, Norm paid 50. Colin paid a hundred. So uh, I, I did a lot better than uh, other people who I had talked to uh, previously, you know? So I felt, I felt pretty good about that. I, I'll, I'll be. So that's cool. Honest. So you got a check yeah. from Colin Quinn. Is that personal dollars, personal check? Personal check. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah. Did you, and... did you actually cash the check? Did you cash it? You did. <laughs> it's funny. When I was on Why Are You Laughing, I talked about that. And in 2000, when I was uh, 
you know, underemployed and then unemployed. I was just like, yeah, I cashed the check. Now I Xeroxed it and I have a copy of it. Wow. But yes, I absolutely cashed that $100 check. If it was a $25 check, I would have thought about it and still cashed it. But definitely $100 <laughs> uh, went uh, a long way. That's awesome. Um, so that's awesome. you asked if I would tell you the joke. And I can tell you the joke. It does have a word we don't use anymore. Uh, so uh, let me tell you the joke. Okay. And then uh, I can uh, alter the punchline. But this is how Colin said it in the year 2000. At the U.S. Comedy Arts Festival in Aspen, Colorado, Jerry Lewis said that he couldn't name any funny women comedians, saying that they are baby producing machines. He then spent the next hour talking about his own comic genius of falling down and making fun of retarded people. But I'm so saying, now we would say right, different, you know, right, developmentally right. disabled people, but also then the I think joke that, actually know, wouldn't be as funny. You know what I right. mean? Believe like, it or not, I, is it possible? I even re I think I remember that joke. I think I, mean, I, I think I remember it. So if you if you saw that episode, it yeah. was it was on on air. You wow. know, I don't well, know if it made it into the gentlemen, Christian Blood. That's funny. Yeah. Um, and, That's you know, funny. look, I. I understand why we don't use the, the R word anymore. Right. It's it, at that time. It was the term that we used. Uh, there's different words that if they'd been in the punchline, I'd be like, no, David, I'm sorry. I can't tell it to you. You know, right, right, if right. I had submitted a joke to Opie and Anthony or Howard Stern, I'd probably just have to say, I'll tell you when we're not recording, but that right. joke made it on network television. Right. And uh, I was and in very fairness, excited. right back in the, you know, for a lot yeah. of things, we, we realized that maybe they're not uh, appropriate and such. So yeah. we learn from our mistakes. So right, shout exactly. out to you for, and, for saying that. So yeah, no, no, so yeah, just, exactly. I, I'm fully aware. And, yeah. and I would, you know, I would definitely refer to someone as developmentally disabled now yeah. conversationally, but uh, that's, that's what Jerry Lewis did. And, and, you know, right. I think it's funny. I'm like, yeah, I'm the first guy to take a shot at Jerry Lewis for being a hack, wow. but it was one of those jokes. I'm like, yeah, somebody's going to somebody's going to write this, you know, right. and a lot of times you felt that way uh, when Jimmy Fallon and Tina Fey were hosting. I swore I wrote a joke that they used, but they said no. One of the other oh, really? wrote it. And I'm like, nothing I can do. Uh, I did it for a long time. That's the only one I ever sold, though. Uh, wow. That one to Colin, uh, you know, because if you made a dress rehearsal, you didn't get paid, which completely right. makes sense. Yeah. Right. So. so that is interesting. And again, I'm sure that listeners as my as do myself, I didn't even know that. And it's funny you mentioned like Steve Corin. It's you know, and again, it it now it all, of course, makes sense. But it's those folks that are so passionate and just don't give up the fact that he was submitting jokes. And of course, the legend has it that um, Johnny Carson was giving Letterman jokes, uh, was sending Letterman jokes for Letterman show. So so yeah. Carson would be home and is like would send Letterman jokes to Letterman that Letterman would say, which is, you know, just. Yeah. And the uh, the know. first show Dave did after Carson passed away, he uh, Peter LaSalle was his guest. Dave's entire monologue was jokes that Carson had sent to him over the years. Yeah, and uh, yeah. we were watching it. Uh, Dennis Miller had a uh, CNBC show uh, at that time. And uh, I had already seen it, but I was burning. I was recording off of a TiVo to burn it onto a DVD, which are a lot of words that wouldn't make sense to the younger generation. <laughs> but believe me, that's what I was right. doing. Wow. And uh, one of the other writers, uh, God bless him, he, he had no idea. So he was talking about how hacked those jokes were. And I was like, wow, oh, just keep watching, Bob. Right. <laughs> and uh, that's his credit. He did. He's just like, oh, that's funny. Yeah, you're right. I was being an ass, but it's still funny. And um, so. 
Dennis Miller, I got to know, and this is sort of like the big takeaway from my experience as a page, as an NBC page, is I think that so many of my current friend group, at least in the years after I was a page when I still lived in New York, everybody that I was close with, I knew through the page program. Uh, I Even to this day, I have high school friends. I have college friends. But the people I was the closest to were the people that I was a page with and got to know better in the years after we were a page. And one of the things that being a page afforded me was I would get, I don't think they have them anymore. There would be these, these uh, alumni contact information updates that would come out. It was an Excel spreadsheet. Mm. And I would always, especially when I moved to LA and I did not have a job, I would scour through that thing. Um, I got hired in alumni at SVU because uh, my boss, uh, Ilka Rivard, had been uh, an LA page. And being mm. a page, having it on your resume, it, it, other pages, <laughs> it was like being from Philadelphia and trying to go see SNL. Having page <laughs> right. on your resume <laughs> would get somebody's attention. And right. so I got the SVU job and I did that a couple of years in uh, New York or in New Jersey and then one year in LA. But going through that list, I found two former LA pages who worked on Dennis Miller's CNBC show. So I just wrote to them and I'm like, hi, uh, you know, I moved to, to LA not that long ago. Would uh, love to just sit down and talk to you. We would be happy to, you know, if there was room for me on the show. The show had already started. I was such a Dennis Miller fan. I watched even his CNBC show at like 6 p.m. Pacific time. Mm. Uh, you know, that's just when it was on. And, uh, you know, I met with them. They didn't have anything at that time. Uh, I met with a, a guy named Chris Conti, who he was, I mean, he retired, you know, as like executive in charge at Access I do Hollywood. remember that. He was, yeah, I remember that name, yeah, actually. He was an NBC lifer uh, out here in L.A. Okay. And um, and uh, a woman named uh, Diane Rinaldi uh, also had been a page. And so they were like the two in charge. I met with both of them. And Conti had in his office, he had like him in his paid gear in like the early 70s, right after Carson moved out to Burbank. And he was like on camera from a, a bit they would do called Stump the Band. And yeah. I'm like, that's a pretty great picture to have, you know, uh, you're there with Carson in your uh, uniform. God. It was in his office. Yeah. That's amazing. So they met me and um, let's see, I was 28 at the time, which is semi-relevant. Uh, but, you know, they didn't have anything at the moment. I was like, no worries. Uh, you know, like, but we'll definitely stay in touch. We've all had those meetings. People say they'll stay in touch. Um, I would have followed up with them, but before I followed up with them within like a month, they actually had an opening. Somebody got promoted. So what they had was a role as a production assistant. And, you know, I was 28 production assistants tended to be a little bit younger, but I wasn't that old and I had no problem. I had had, I had had enough terrible jobs that the idea of being a production assistant, you know, driving all around, picking stuff up around LA uh, was not going to be a problem for me. I was uh, very happy to do it, whatever the show, but the fact that it was Dennis Miller's show and I had always been such a fan of his since I was in middle school, really. I mean, his comedy album, the Off-White album, I still have the cassette of it. Uh, it's It's almost perfect. Like every joke, it's like, you know, perfectly crafted. Every word makes sense. Everything's there for a reason. So I was very excited to take on that role. So I started doing that. And I asked a, a great guy named Jim Hanna, who he wasn't the executive producer, but he was kind of like one of the senior writers. He had worked on Dennis's uh, CNBC or sorry, his HBO show. 
And, uh, you know, I had mentioned that uh, another uh, PA, uh, a guy named Gil, who went on to work for Ellen DeGeneres for. Oh, like, Gil. What was his last name? Gil yeah. Reif. Okay, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So he uh, he has a great story because he ended up writing on Ellen's show uh, because of a literally a Craigslist, Craigslist post. Really? <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but anyway, so uh, J- and Jim was very cool that he was like, yeah, uh, you guys, uh, you know, there was like a deadline, like, you know, the jokes had to be ready to be sent to Dennis by, I don't know, noon. So he's like, yeah, if you you give them to me by 11 a.m., uh, I'll pick out a few and we'll put them. And Dennis was very judicious about the joke selection. It would be uh, he would be faxed again. These are the days of faxes. Uh, you know, sometimes it was like 200 jokes. Every joke had a number. There were no names attached because he didn't want what I was talking about earlier. Nobody got their joke on based on merit. It got on if he thought it was funny and he would make these calls and he'd be like, Hey, three, eight, 23, 40, you know, and he didn't want you repeating the numbers. He just wanted to say, hang up the phone and get in his car from, uh, you know, take his car service down from Santa Barbara, basically. So, uh, so I got to start submitting jokes that way. And uh, I started getting jokes on the air and I, I, there's enough where I, I see for those, I have like script pages and things. There was uh they used teleprompter. So I didn't get to grab a mm-hmm. cue card from that, but I, I have, you know, I, I, I clipped them, uh, you know, so I have him saying my jokes, I have pages of the jokes. Uh, he used one of my jokes on the tonight show one night. I couldn't believe it, you know? So it was wow. just like, uh, and no, I was, you know, there's, there was no extra pay for that, but it didn't matter. It's like, this is right. why I'm there. Right. And then the writers started putting me into bits. And this is where I got Dennis's attention because he would say, you're a terrible actor, but you're really <laughs> dedicated to it. Like, you know, I would be committed. Right. I the, the, I put on a, a bad wig and I was his no good teenage son, Dak. And uh-huh. so I would have like these lines just like, you, you just don't get it. And I would like storm off. And that was it. It was like dumb stuff like that. Uh, I was dressed like Babe Ruth once. I wore ladies lingerie once. It was whatever. The only thing that I thought about was whatever they ask me, the answer is yes. I don't have yep. any problem doing any of the bits that they ask. My mom's going to see me on TV that night. That's all that right. matters. And then Dennis got to know. It's like, yeah, this, this guy is doing pretty much everything. So uh, eventually I got to be his assistant. And I had a lot of time to write a lot more jokes. And uh, so the at some point, Jim, just uh, Jim Hanna, the guy I referenced, he would just let me, you know, I would just turn in my jokes to the writer's assistant the same way that the, the actual paid writers would. So, I, you know, and to be fair, the writer's assistants also got to submit jokes. So we everybody's jokes went into the mix. You got it on. Sometimes sometimes it got to rehearsal and then it didn't get on the air. But you definitely felt like you were part of it and it was great. So that's how I got to know Dennis every once in a while. He'd be like, you know, the, he'd be like, who wrote that joke? And uh, he'd be like, you know, and, and people wouldn't say anything. So I'd have to be like, Oh, I did. He's like, <laughs> so he's like, man, no wonder it sucked. You know, just that's the thing too. You know, it's right. like, obviously the joke made the show, so it didn't suck, right. but you know, so it's uh that was a great experience. So he got to know me. And then just as his assistant, I got so that I talked to him every day. I would get those calls of him saying the numbers and I had to make sure I got them right. right. And just, you know, and uh, I had to stay at my desk because, you know, there was no forwarding your desk phone to your cell phone. Once he was in the car, I could catch my breath because it'd take him about an hour to get down. So that's how I got to know him. And I ended up being 
uh, also being the assistant to Eddie Feldman, who was the executive producer at that time. Uh, and then the show very abruptly got canceled. We learned that that show got canceled when the press release from CNBC came out telling us that uh, Donnie Deutsch would be uh, taking over our time slot. Uh, oh, we had to. We had uh, we had outlived the John McEnroe show, which had been on uh, CNBC as well. But uh, so, yeah, that was a that was a little rough. But wow. uh, I had my friends at Law and Order SVU to call and uh, they had an opening not too long thereafter. But then I heard actually on the Howard Stern show, I heard that Dennis Miller was going to have a nationally syndicated radio show. They were just doing the news and they mentioned it. So I had his email. So I wrote to him and they tried to figure out what I could do. I'd never worked on radio. But there was budget for him to have an assistant. So I was his assistant and I would send him jokes. And uh, there was a co-host who had worked with him on the, the HBO show and the CNBC show. And so there was really just the two of us sending him jokes. So I got a lot of jokes on the radio. And uh, the producer of that show worked in New York. Uh, a lot of a lot of radio, even at that time, this is 2007 was done sort of like, you know, hosts in different locations. It wasn't like you come in and you sit in the studio and you see them right. on the other side of the glass. A lot of radio still done that way. But, it, you know, this was definitely the age where technology was starting to make it possible. So Dennis had a studio in his house. Um, and it just, I tried, I did my best to help this producer. Dennis is not difficult to work with. I have to say that. It's just, a there's a particular way to approach things. There's, there's, you know, here's the information to give now. Some of it you can hold back, have a conversation, very easy to talk to. Uh, always found him to be very easy to talk to. Um, this guy kind of didn't get it and I, I tried to help him. So then they decide they're going to replace him and then they were going to bring in radio people. You know, they started interviewing other radio executive producers and the dentist just called me one day and he was like, uh, I was thinking you should produce the show. And I'm like, what? Uh, he's like, yeah, because uh, they're just, you know, this guy was supposed to be a, a good radio guy and it didn't work. So what makes them think that the next radio guy is going to work? And he's like, I, I know you want to be a writer and you can still, you know, you still send me jokes and all that. Um, so and then I talked to, you know, the vice president of News Talk for Westwood One, who produced our radio show, was just like, yeah, I mean, we thought about it and you know, it, it's great because we can teach you how to produce a radio show. You can't necessarily teach people how to get along with each other, you know? And I thought it was, it was very smart. And I, I legitimately wasn't sure I wanted to take it at first because I really wanted to write, but I, you know, I had, I had the right people in my life to be able to tell me like, no, you should definitely do this. And I'm glad that I, I did. I didn't have to think about it for too long. Uh, you know, and it was just like, he's like, yeah, just make sure you tell me when I'm being an asshole. That's what Dennis said. And I only ever told him twice because I knew <laughs> I knew to save it. Uh, but so I did that. And, uh, you know, I did it for really eight years. And the uh, the co-host uh, left the show and he still needed somebody to talk to. So I ended up basically being the co-host. I was never hired as that. I was the producer, but he talked to me, you know, mm -hmm. so, you know, so I, I mean, anybody who listens to radio shows, you know, just to go back to Howard Stern, everybody knew who. Baba Bowie was Gary Del Bate because he talked to him all the time. He'd come into right. the studio. So I was like, yeah, it's kind of like that. So the one thing that I want to circle back to, though, is the CNBC show, because I talked about how being a page really shaped my life as an adult. There's all these friends that I met. I get that job with Dennis Miller, who I work with for most of 20 years. 
you know, it's at least 15 years because after the radio show ended years later, he did a few podcasts and I worked on those with him. But I also met my wife on the CNBC show. She uh, was an intern and I was a production assistant and uh, she she liked everybody who worked on the show. She thought everybody was nice except me. Uh, and then, Usually how it goes. and then, and then she got to know me a little bit better and she's like, oh, okay. He's just, just going through some stuff, I guess. And, uh, you know, there was one computer for all the interns and PAs. So we would just sit at a desk and we would wait for people to, uh, to need anything. Can you go get this? Can you go run this over to wherever you know, on the uh, Burbank lot? And, uh, sorry, I need to take a drink of water because I'm talking so much. Yeah, go for it. So, and we would just sit there and we would look at, you know, there's always a stack of all the new magazines, you know, uh, in touch people, uh, entertainment weekly. So we would just kind of look and be like, Oh, look, celebrities are just like us. You know, and we would laugh about that. And I would always like, Oh, we got the, we got TV guide. I'm like, I can, I can do the TV guide crossword puzzle in eight minutes. And, uh, you know, it's weird flex now when you think about it, but right. you know, it would always be like three people letters like TV guide. What, what's that? Well, yeah, there's also that. Yeah. It's like, Three letters, the blank couple. And, I said, and I'm like, oh, it's the odd couple. Great. What's the next one? You know, so we would just do, it was just dumb stuff like that. So right. then uh, we really hit it off there. And, uh, you know, uh, I I would be the first to tell you that it, that I had dated an intern if I had. Uh, it wasn't until after she left that it was like, oh, we should like still hang out and uh. stuff. So I got to I got to know my wife because of Dennis Miller's CNBC show. I got that because I was a page, I worked with Dennis Miller for much of my professional career, all because I had been a page. Wow. Uh, and it's funny because we will be having a, a, uh, a, a podcast uh, episode where it'll be couples. I have a bunch of couples that met as pages that are married. So there's a nice. bunch of sets. Yeah. Sets of them. And we're, we're working. Oh, on that's that. fun. So it's kind of funny. So again, I, these stories are amazing, and I, I appreciate you um, talking so much. I guess one question about Dennis Miller: again, when you wrote a joke for him, did you have to? Because again, his 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 um, language or or the the level of which he spoke was was a, a little above my pay grade. Did you have to write jokes that were like, did you have to get out a dictionary to find words to for him or how did that work? No, I would, I would sometimes use a big word, but it would have to be a big word that I knew, you know, I would have to make sure that it fit. I wouldn't like, Oh, let's get this the thesaurus and try and make my jokes better. And, you know, at the time I would still submit jokes, you know, to SNL, like, you know, uh, you know, so sometimes I'd like, oh, this one's more of like a Seth Meyers joke. And then, right. you know, so it was like you would kind of think about it in that way sometimes. But yeah, so uh, no, I was just like, oh, I think I definitely get to a point like I think I know what he's going to think is funny. And yeah, sometimes you would put in obscure TV reference, you right. know, uh, right you know, D-list actor, you know, there's going right. to be stuff that, that you, you know, and much of my career is bringing up people or, you know, canceled TV shows. Like he's going to laugh if you talk about right. my mother, the car at the right moment, you know? Right. So there's, there's always like, it's just sort of anticipating that. And even just writing for him, you kind of got the sense. And I think that uh, just, you know, being able to, I can't out reference him, but I can, sometimes I can out weird him. You know, and a lot of like a lot of the podcast that we did was basically him trying to make me laugh, me just beaming. It was only a podcast, but it was just a big smile because I had made him laugh really hard. Right. And, it, you know, 
But I was just like, I don't, I don't know who's listening to the two of us giggle, but right. uh, it's okay for a little while. Wow. No, just, just that whole experience must've been incredible. Cause, and I'm sure that, that even he may, he may have, well, it's true. If there was some obscure reference or some crazy thing, that would probably make him laugh because he, that's what he did, which was, which was yeah. really funny. So uh, you probably, you know, he probably enjoyed you as much as he, you enjoyed him, which is. Yeah. And I think we got to know each other, you, you know, know, fairly well. And I, I still, he's mostly retired at this point, but uh, I, I still, I'll have lunch with him a couple of times a year. I'll drive up to Santa Barbara and wow. it's, it's always fun, you know, and uh, just, you know, the people that I've gotten to know because I worked with him, you know, I, I was able to have Dana Carvey and John Lovitz on my podcast. And it's because oh, wow. I know Dennis, I know why they right. did it, but you know, John Lovitz did the 500th episode of my show, the black cast, and I got Carvey on a little while after. So, you know, you definitely get fun things right. like that. Uh, you know, because of my time at SNL, I got to know uh, Norm Macdonald a little bit. So there's, and then continued to get to know him because, he, you know, he knew Dennis and we used to have Norm on our radio show every week at one point, just call in. So, you know, just, you definitely got to know people and it's like, you know, you get things like, you know, um, I'm on the phone with Norm McDonald for an hour and a half. I really have to go. How do I get off the phone with him? Right. And I've been talking to Gary Shandling for an hour and I know I'm name dropping, but these are things that I couldn't believe that I was doing. Like Gary right. Shandling, you know, just talking to me, Dana Carvey, trying out bits for the next day show. I was like, well, what about this? What do you think about it? And I'm like, you're asking me. Okay. You know, it's right. like Kevin Nealon. Like, what do you think? And I'm like, right. hey, look, if you're asking, I think it's great, you know, and it would, it would definitely help with uh, all the segments. So Anyway, that's uh, that's a big sort of roundabout summary of, uh, you know, how impactful uh, working with Dennis was and how that only stems from being a page, but not that moment where I took him up in the elevator for the 25th anniversary show. Well, I will say this just and then, and then we may do the lightning round uh, for some of these other. Uh, yeah, well, there's questions. there's there's there's, but, there's something in your intro that I'll t I'll make sure. Yeah, to we'll, tell we'll definitely. Talk, OK, but but okay. I just want to I just want to touch in because because it's true you know, um, you know, name dropping and this and that. But, you know, to me, even 30 years later and 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 working with the biggest there are, you know, I still even if I had tomorrow had to go work with someone who was big, I still get a kick out of it. And I'm still like honored or in awe or or something. And I think, you know, I think it's those folks that 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 are so into it, like I said, you're, I noticed that you're, you have a, you, you, you know, a lot of details and you're, you remember very specific things. And again, if you if you talk about, you know, um, uh, this guy, Ken Hamill, you know, he'll tell you, you know, he knows it all. And it's those people that are so passionate or Steve Corin, who writes these jokes and oh. just keeps on coming out. It's these people that are so passionate. They just want to be a part of it. And even now, um, and it's funny, even you mentioned um, uh, Shanling, when I was the page and worked the 15th anniversary show and I was spilling folks, which are letting people out of the audience, he looked like he was miserable because he was like really tired and he was like, oh, I, I need to get out of here. And I remember putting my arm on his shoulder and and being like, it's OK, it's over. You can go home, maybe go to the party. And then ironically, I went to high school with Judd Apatow who went on to become this uh, shout out to yeah. Judd. We used to ride motorcycles together and stuff. Um, but he, of course, wrote like a whole documentary with Shanling and, and of course, done a million different things. And I just get it. I like I'm, you know, if I were to get hit by a bus tomorrow, I'm just so grateful that I could like enjoy and be a part of this. And, and 
you know, if I was on the phone with Chandling or something for an hour, it's like, well, I don't want to get off the phone. <laughs> like, you want to talk yeah. for the next Oh, no, no. Hours? Yeah. And, and there's uh, that. But it's it's true, like, with like, with you know, Norm, it was like the fifth time I've done it. And I'm like, I don't want this to end, but I need right. it to end. Right. And like, it's, how do I how do I reconcile those right. two things? Gary Shandling, I, I would have, I, you know, I would have been late for the rest of my day, whatever I was even waiting on. You know, we, yeah, we were just, you know, he was like going to come on, like not even the next day. We were just, he just wanted to talk, it's you know, just, right. it was, yeah. Just to so, have that in yeah. your life is so, yeah. it's just very special. And you've, you've had great success and you've done all these amazing things. And again, just to, you know, be, be just remember, you know, we were all pages and we were, we, we, we just had graduated. We didn't know anything. And it's just so amazing to see, you know, you reflecting on, on this, this great career. And again, it, it all come, you know, which is why I think I'm so passionate about it. I'm like, we were all just pages. We were like, yeah. oh, do. and I, you said that something else that was, that, that it struck me. You said um, the answer to anything, the answer is yes. Yes. And I have to say for myself, I mean, I think I've I've repeated that myself, whatever the answer is. Yes. Whatever you want me to do. Yeah. We'll figure it out. And, and, and it's really, and unfortunately I've been with, with, with folks that, that the answer is no oftentimes, or I don't want to do, I'm like, do you have to fuck, just do it. Just like, yeah. whatever you want, we'll do it. And there are folks that just don't do it that way. And I'm like, why would you not do that? Like just whatever it takes to get the job done, you're going to do it. And it's, and it's when you say yes, every single time. Matter of fact, my job, which I mentioned in the past from WNBC, she'd asked me to give a tour. It's funny. I it's totally remember. She'd asked me to give a tour to some Japanese guests for WNBC. And they said they need someone to give a tour. And my answer was yes, gave the tour. And I got called up to WNBC, the president. And she said, she actually said, why are you so good? What, what, what's, what's, what's your deal? And I said, you know, well, hopefully if I said yes enough, you know, the president of uh, of WNBC yeah. would call me at your office and ask me what I want. But that thing, it was like, whatever you want me to do, no problem. And and to this day, and I mentioned this, we talked about, I think, you know, if they said, David, I need to give you a tour tomorrow, literally, I'd be like, great, give me a yeah. uniform. I, I do it. I do it tomorrow. So. Anyway, yeah, so and the, on the on the occasions that I get a chance to talk to like college kids or whatever, I, I will always tell them it's like whatever, whatever it is, the answer is yes. It's not a huge regret. But from when I was an intern at Late Night with Conan O'Brien, I'll tell the very quick version. I was the music intern because I was there every day and uh, I had to go and get a very expensive, very specific bottle of tequila for the jam band Fish. You know, they're kind of like the Grateful Dead. Uh, they weren't huge yet, but they were really big. Oh, yeah. And uh, I was like, sure, I'll go and do it. And I go and get it, you know, it was like $80 for a, a bottle of tequila. And this is 1999. So that's crazy in my mind, but I've been given the cash so I didn't care. I brought it back. And the guys were like, hey, man, thanks so much. There's guys in the band. They're like, hey, man, thanks so much. You want to do a shot with us? And I'm like, oh, no, 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 I shouldn't. And because I didn't want to get in trouble, <laughs> I didn't want anybody. To, but, you know, so my story that I tell now 25 years later is like, yeah, so I said no to a shot with the guys from Fish doing a shot with the guys from fish is probably a better story. So I kind of learned a little bit from that moment of like, well, why didn't I, I could have chewed right. some gum. No one, right. it was going to be a shot of tequila. You right. know, we, and, we, and uh, I hate we to say it, you know, we, we weren't doing eight balls in the men's room, right. you know? So. And if you, you know what, but it's funny because even back then, even if your boss, whoever that was at the time, you'd like, no fish asked me to do a shot. Yeah. So I did a shot with him. I, I you know, yeah. it's one of those things. And, 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 and like when I used to go to the SNL parties or 
Well, yeah, we always always had limo service. You know, I don't know. Oh, you yes, know, we, we always did. had. Yes. We always had. Right. We always had. We had. I had vouchers. I had the the, the first. I had the voucher book where you rip out the voucher, and then of course yep. you had the code. You know, so we were going to parties and doing all this crazy stuff. And again, as a twenty year old guy, you're like, "Am I not supposed to be going to a bar with so and so? Like, isn't that like, isn't that what you're supposed to do? I don't know. You know, like you're just sort of playing along." Because you're just that's like, you know, like I'm going to do whatever you want me to do, you know. Um, so it just the, the whole experience is just so insane. So, yeah. And I'll just touch on one of the things that you mentioned in the intro is, you know, the reason why being a page was like TV summer camp is because for the most part, you're all about the same age. You're a year or two out of college and, you know, you have a job. Yes, you're making money. It's not a ton of money. You work these crazy hours with the same group of people. So you have this immediately built in friend group and it's all very attractive men and women of the same age and you're getting insanely drunk together. So it was it was a lot of fun. You know, right. I lived in Hoboken most of the time I was a page with three other pages, actually. Hmm. And at one point that summer, it hit me. I'm like, oh, my God, I've I've gone out 13 out of the last 14 nights. And then I don't mean like, oh, I had a couple. No, I mean, I went out hard <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, this is this is insustainable. But, you know, for that summer that we were pages is like we just had to give tours. We uh, you know, had to seat people in audiences. And then the summer there weren't as many audiences to seat, you know, so it was it was so much fun. And I think that's why I'm so close with uh, so many of those people. And uh, yeah, because if they asked you to go somewhere, you're not going to say no. You know, it's yeah, like exactly. it's like we're working. And remember, you're only a page for 18 months. It was 18 months for me. I don't it was know. a year when I did a year. It, OK, yeah. so yeah. you're only with you're only here a year. So it's not like, you know, yeah, you know, uh, well, my, you know, four years in, uh, you got a year. So you have to compress everything into that one year. So if, you, if it's a Tuesday and one of your page friends who now could be the executive producer of, you know, Paramount of some, you know, they're like, let's go get a drink. Well, you're like, OK, or or let's just yeah. go whatever, you know, whatever you're going to do, it gets of lunch, whatever. So, you, it, you know, and 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 you, so it's like it's like this this um compressed experience, like, you know, I think on Seinfeld, it's, you know, going going away on a weekend, you know, you're going on a weekend. That's like that's like six months of dating, you know, because you're got. You're <laughs> yeah, with right. That's, that's a great so point. You, yeah. Yeah. So you're like literally everything is so compressed and you're 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 getting to know them so quickly. And again, uh, which I've said before, you know, there's so, you know, you had so many experiences in such a compressed time. You know, I in the past 30 years, I don't think I have half as many exciting stories. You know, <laughs> it's like the weirdest thing. So in any case, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll do we'll do sort of a, um, uh, yeah. a, a, a quick lightning round. We'll just sort of mention some of these things. So so Christian Chenoweth, when you when yes. you were giving a tour. Kristen Chenoweth, yeah. at this point, she had been in You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, and uh, she played uh, Sally, uh, Charlie Brown's little sister. And, you know, I knew who she was because I, you know, I, I was never hardcore into theater, but I was a little bit of a theater nerd. I was a much bigger nerd on other things. I knew who she was. She was there with a friend and she was kind of talking about, you know, early on about how she hopes she doesn't get recognized in the way where I'm like, oh, I think this chick wants to get recognized. I didn't know who she was at first. <laughs> right, like, and we don't it, know who you are. It dawned on me that I'd seen her probably on Rosie O'Donnell's show. They'd probably had a performance from it. And she talked the whole time. And I was just like, you're a theater performer. 
And I know that what I'm doing isn't great. I didn't say any of this. You know, this is just in my head. Right. And right. I've carried this grudge for 25 years. <laughs> get, it out, so get it out here I, on the podcast. Anything that I've ever seen her in, I'm like, everything is great on that show, Pushing Daisies, except Kristen Chenoweth. <laughs> I can't stand her. And people talk about how they love her. I'm like, not me, because oh, she funny. couldn't shut up. And so she was just talking. And I doubt she remembers it. Like, if right. somebody were right. to clip this and send it to her, she's right. like, I never did that. Yes, right. you did. And I was just like, I, I'm just trying to tell people People do want to hear about right. this studio. They want to know a little bit about, you know, the, the history of Studio 6A. Maybe they don't, but some <laughs> right. of them do. They right. want to know about Studio 8H. That's probably why they bought the ticket to the tour. So, yeah. So that stuck with me. And, uh, yeah, I... Uh, I, uh, I, I, I neither forgive nor forget. Wow. And it is distracting. I will say when you're giving the tour, you know, uh, it, it is distracting because you're trying to talk to a group and it's so funny because I, it, it, uh, you know, there, I, there are other situations where, you know, when the performer's up on stage, you know, they can hear you, <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. you're sitting, you know, so, you know, anyone that goes to Broadway or, or, or goes to a comedy club, uh, you know, that you know you're only a couple of feet from the performer you chatting to your friend you know the the comedians you know trying to do a show and you know just give them the respect and 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 just listen and you may not find it funny or whatever but but it really is distracting and it, and it's true sometimes you want to say like hey you know I'm, I'm performing here you know yeah. could you could you keep quiet so yeah, so christian right. uh i will next time i see her perform live i am going to heckle you her to start talking to your friend i'm gonna be i'm gonna get yeah. up there and start doing a show okay so rosie o'donnell now now i did wrote again for those that don't know rosie o'donnell did a uh syndicated show she i think it was on channel seven at the yeah, time Yeah, in, in new york it was on channel seven. channel seven uh it was syndicated though so and it could have been on right. any network depending on what city somebody lived in and they just rented space it was a warner brothers show but because it was in new york they just had to rent space nbc uh was what made sense right so, so yeah they, so, they they rented space on the the eight floor yeah right so 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 yeah. So if you're in New York and you, you went to go see Rose O'Donnell at NBC, you're like, well, why is she at NBC? Yeah. This doesn't make any sense. But to your point, uh, you know, it is interesting that there are some productions that physically just rent space. So they're like, there's some empty space at 30 Rock. Let's just do it there. So Rosie was in the show. I must say I, I did. I am I, assuming we work them because I remember seeing the shows and to Rosie's credit, before the audience, she she whipped them into a frenzy. She was shooting koosh yeah. balls, throwing oh, candy. Yes. People were going nuts. And I have to say, I was like, you know, and I, I have to give credit what credit's due. I'm like, she's she's kicking ass. Like, she's really do. The, the audience is going insane. This Correct. is amazing. Like, she was amazing. And then, of course, years later, where where you hear all these horrible stories. Yeah, it, I know. Well, you, you should you should never be on the cover of Newsweek as the Queen of Nice because you can't live up to that. You right. Know, it, it was not. That's not entirely her fault. That that was the persona that uh, people projected onto her. Right. It was. I, I was so disappointed because I have. To, I was so impressed with the level at which the engagement was. It was insane. So your story is that you were taking the one of these elevators. There's what six elevators, I think, in the yeah, in the, so, in that bank. So tell so yeah. So uh this was actually when I was an intern at SNL. Um uh there's different elevator bank. You'd switch from you'd take 17 down to 14, and then you go 14 down to the lobby. And 
it stopped on the eighth floor, which it's the SNL floor. So it's like, all right, it's probably going to be somebody we know. I was talking to an intern friend of mine. I was just telling a story. And I'll admit that I was definitely uh, making her laugh really hard. So I kept telling the story. And then the door opens on the eighth floor. And it's uh, Rosie O'Donnell and her armed security guard, uh, which I'll let people take away from that, whatever they want. Uh, <laughs> and just uh, looking at the door as it opened. And I'm like, okay. So I just keep going. And you could tell Rosie was probably expecting us to get out of the elevator because if we were getting on at that floor, her security guard might have said, can you take the next one? And honestly, I would have been like, sure. No, right. you know what? I get it. Right. Even as an intern who didn't work for her show, I'd be, you know, then I would tell the story anyway. But I was just in the middle. I don't know. We were talking and we're just going down one more stop. So the whole time they can't believe that I'm still on the elevator with my friend. And then that makes her laugh 10 times harder because Rosie doesn't want us on there. She didn't say anything. She didn't do anything. I could just tell how much it pissed her off that we were there. So, um, you know, not, it's a story I tell often, but it was a really, you know, when you were asking me for a bunch of memories, that one came to mind just because it did make me laugh and it made my friend laugh even harder that uh, Rosie didn't want to share the elevator with us. Right. You know? and, and I will say, and again, this was, you know, when you're a 20 year old kid, the fact is there was the main, uh, the main, uh, you have, eight, you know, uh, eight floors or, or I guess eight floors, which is the main studio bank where all the studios shoot off of. And those elevators from from back then, the Today Show, Letterman, Live at Five, Costas, you know, they were all in that bank. <clears throat> so you literally were getting on the elevator and anyone could get in. And I will say to the credit of everybody else, you know, I remember getting in, you know, I mean, I, I got in the elevator with everybody. I remember Letterman would come come in once, you know, where he was very shy and, you know, his, his baseball cap and a football and, and glasses. And he would just and he wouldn't talk to any folks. But, you know, Brokaw or or the or any of the Today Show folks or or the or, you know, Live at Five folks or Costas. And they, I mean, they were just working. So nobody cared and everybody felt very equal. And 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 you just rode the elevator. So if you got it, yeah. if you're talking, you came in. So the fact that she, you know, made a sort of a, a subtle a bit of a think stink. about it. Yeah, was, I, would, I would say that was annoying. Way. And again, it, just just for my own thing, it was it was kind of nice to just, um, you know, be feel a part of of the same group. Yeah. OK, so we're going to move on to Max Weinberg, um, which I have a duel. And again, because there's so many funny things that that pop into my head but tell us about max and i'll tell you a funny story too so this is the secondhand story uh so i'm not going to attribute it to the person who told it to me but i heard it from multiple people so this is about him in the fitness center right correct that yes, yeah. yes the, yeah. so that uh look you know you work out uh you know in, in, in you know if you're in the the men's locker room afterwards you're expecting to see pretty much anything you don't you know you know, I just keep my eyes low. I don't really want to see anything. You know, I, I don't even want to see what I have going on, much less anyone. <laughs> else. But um, I was told by multiple people that uh, Max Weinberg, when he would uh, get out of the shower, uh, he would prop a leg up on the bench in the men's room and he would, uh, you know, spending a lot of time and I, I I heard it and then I heard it again years later from someone else entirely. And uh, I think I even heard it from someone that's established enough that I'm like, this is definitely true. And it was just such a funny, weird. Thing. I'm like, 
who does that? Well, the answer, maybe everybody in the E Street Band does it. You know, maybe Stephen Van Zandt does it too. I don't actually know. You know, I've never heard that from the set of The Sopranos, but uh, that was always my favorite anecdote because it's such a weird thing and it's hard to not think about it. Well, so I, I guess I will tack on to that because two things. One is um, when Conan O'Brien launched the show, which again, I, I would love to actually would love to have Conan on the show to talk about his experience with pages. Well, which, well, which, I hear he needs a know. friend. So exactly. So that's, be it. Yeah. that's the thing. But when Conan started um, that studio, which was Letterman's old studio. And again, for the listeners, you know, everything was open. There's nothing was off limits. And I personally right. love the drums. And actually, I'm going to give a shout out to Mr. Bernstein, my band teacher from high school, who I'm still friendly with. I was the worst clarinet player on earth, but I love the drums. And I would go oh, okay. in band, I would go and bang on the drums, but 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 I wasn't a band. I, w I didn't really know how to play the drums. So I used to go into Conan's set at on a Saturday night after we just got back from going out somewhere. I would uh, they would so usually sometimes his drums were covered. I would uncover the drums and I'd literally wail on Max Weinberg's drums, you know, in the studio. And I'm wailing. So, again, it's like, what the hell am I doing? I'm literally playing Max's drums you know while yeah. you know so i so that was thoroughly enjoyable and i and i and i literally would you know pick up his drumsticks whatever I, I, either they cover if they were cut I, I don't think they were covered but whatever it is i leave them how i found them yeah um so that was kind of cool and then just talking about the gym when i you know which was really cool nbc had the nbc fitness uh fit it was the nbc fitness and center the fitness center center yes. they called it beautiful space and I would go up there and work out. And then Tom Brokaw would also work out. And again, Tom Brokaw had no problem taking a shower and just, you know, getting dressed, you know. So it was just <laughs> it was just a funny thing to to be up in the, you know, up in the lounge and just, you know, like, you you know, uh, Rosie O'Donnell didn't want you to take the elevator with her. But but Tom Brokaw had no problem just, you know. Sharing the locker room with the yeah. guys, you know. Yeah. So God, you, so God bless. If, if you if you turn the wrong way, you'd see little Brokaw. I see what you're saying. Exactly. Absolutely. So yeah. it was yeah. th that was funny. Okay. So now another couple of things. Uh, rumor has it that 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 a writer's assistant tried to pick you up. Well, let's that? just uh, let's just say that somebody that worked on the show, uh, uh, someone that worked on the Rosie O'Donnell show, I talked a little bit about my demeanor as a page talking to audiences. Very tough love, firm, but kind. I tried to be kind. She liked the way that I was basically yelling at the audience to get in their seat. I don't remember <laughs> just yelling, but so she's like, she said to somebody, who's that page? And so she had someone hand a letter to me, which was one of those blue cards that talk show hosts use. And it said, do you like me? Check a box. Yes or no. So it was very like cute, like elementary school kind of thing. And uh, I was like, who said this? I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. I didn't know anything about her. So, uh, and we did date for a little while, a couple of different times, and really? uh, very, very wow. kind person uh, that uh, I, I have uh, nice things to say about. But uh, it was just such a random thing that happened because I was a page, um, wow. and uh, I, I made an impression on someone on one of my tours once who 
went to the extent of calling the page lounge uh, to like give me her phone number. And then I, I talked to this girl. We went out a couple of times and uh, she lives in Prague these days. But uh, so sometimes, you know, you understand the appeal of a man in uniform. Sometimes that uniform is a peacock tie with a uh, polyester uh, navy blue blazer. Wow. Uh, there were times that uh, sometimes we uh, caught the lady's attention, I suppose. Well, it first one, and again, it's an amazing story. And 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 I, too, and I have to give anyone that knows me knows. And I, and I, her name was Eleni. And everybody knows the Eleni story. I could go I could do I could do a, a six hour podcast on that alone. <laughs> so just I, I will say hello to Eleni if for some godforsaken reason she's listening. But yeah, it was pretty amazing. The 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 romance that took place um, yeah. as a page, like you said, being in summer camp and and all that stuff, it pretty much was exactly like summer camp um, uh, and all the things that take place uh, during that um, time. So yeah, it was 100%, magical. So yeah, yeah. So it was very magical. And again, God bless Eleni, and I could I could go on for days. Uh, okay, so we're gonna we're gonna continue moving on quick. Um, basically, oh, tell us about Monica Lewinsky, where, where that. Okay. Came. So this was a, always a good interview question for me because I had also, because, uh, my aunt worked for a specific office that was an offshoot of the office of the vice president, which the vice president at that time was Al Gore. And so I interned as a white house intern, which is a good thing yeah. to show up on your resume. Um, by the time I was looking for work, everybody was like, oh, did you know Monica? And as I, and so I had a great interview answer, which was no. However, I did meet her because she had a guest spot on SNL. And uh, it was one of those weeks where I was at the uh, at the 8H desk and, you know, definitely made small talk. Uh, and she was very nice to everyone, all the pages and everything. She's very appreciative of getting a chance to be on, uh, you know, I think definitely overwhelmed by being in the spotlight at all. Uh, but she was very kind to us. I got to give her a hug and I'm just like, ah, I feel like this is this is a good moment. You know, it's like the fact that I got to hug Monica Lewinsky. We all did. It wasn't just me. Uh, but uh, I just thought there's that, no, that she there was, was no cigars involved. Nothing. No cigars. They weren't handing uh, out cigars. Right yeah, now. No cigarette okay. holders. Nothing. Okay. You know, there, nothing. there are no okay. tobacco products allowed okay. uh, anywhere. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, that was it was just that was one of the more random things was, you know, a lot of times your interactions with people is because, you know, oh, they're you know, they're famous, you know, or, and yes, she of course was famous or infamous, but it was such a random thing. And I would try to use it to tie together, you know, just how experienced I was. Uh, and like, <laughs> well, I did actually meet Monica Lewinsky because people would always want to know about that. Yeah. That's uh, so funny. I, again, it just, the stories are amazing. Okay. So we're going to wrap things up. Um, we, we'd mentioned, uh, well, you know, Conan O'Brien, forgive or forget Curtis court law and order. Yeah. Obviously Dennis Miller, so just quickly, I guess, talk about for the shows that we haven't mentioned, you know, mention some of the work that you've done on them. And then yeah. and then also, you know, give, give maybe if you have any advice for for young folks that are trying yeah. to break into the business or just things that you learn that maybe could be helpful for them. And then we'll wrap things up. Well, uh, what I, I'll take that last part first is uh, I just wish when I was like in middle school, somebody had told me that if you want to be a comedy writer, uh, you should go to Harvard. Uh, because so many of them, and they were very nice people, but so many of them went to Harvard. I was like, oh, okay, so I didn't have a chance. 
Um, <laughs> it's changed a little bit now, but this was in the late 90s. And Conan, like, Conan went to Harvard, didn't he? Conan went to Harvard. Yeah. He hired some Harvard people. They weren't actually all from Harvard, but it was like, you know, everybody seemed to have gone to an Ivy League school. And if somebody like, you know, didn't go to an Ivy, they went to Duke. You know what I mean? It was all like, OK, all schools that I was not getting into. I went to Marist College in Poughkeepsie. I was not. That was the school I was going to get into. Um, I didn't want to go to Syracuse because it was too far away and too cold. I Poughkeepsie was far enough. Uh, so, yeah, look, I worked on uh, any shows that I could get in on and, you know, friends or people that I'd worked with would connect the dots. Uh, forgive or forget. It was one of the most miserable experiences of my, of my life. It was an awful place to work. Uh, Robin Givens had taken over as host and uh, the show got canceled and she gets everybody together in the studio and is like, now, don't worry. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to go back <laughs> to acting. And like, no one's worried about that dummy. But bring it back to Howard Stern. They were dating at the time. So I saw Howard show up a few times. He was dating Robin Givens. Oh, really? Uh, so, oh. yeah. So this is just weird. I just saw Howard a few times. Oh. Um, and uh, Curtis Court was a really bad judge show. I mean, I don't like any of them, but this was a really bad shared <laughs> facilities and crew with Inside Edition which was Deborah oh. Norville at this point. It wasn't Bill O'Reilly anymore. Wait, was that being yeah. shot? It, well, because I work across American... from the broadcast center well, or not the broadcast center, but across from CBS. Yeah. At, okay, uh, King World. I, yeah. yeah. Well, I work for King World. I did American Journal. Oh, and then okay. and then I almost I, I got hired on Rolanda uh, to do oh, promos okay. for Rolanda. And I saw Rolanda sure. at a party. So sweet, whatever. But but yeah, there was they, they had an office in American Journal and Inside Edition. Were, were pairs and i'll give a shout out to steve kamer who's the voice of of inside edition and actually this is a guy that i know for about 30 years talk okay. about i have to give him a shout out he'd show up every day at cbs when i was at cbs and at, at nbc you know you got any work for me you got any work for me just you know having inviting yeah. people to parties the whole thing the bottom line he's like the voice of the yes network He's the voice. If you okay. go on, you said the path train. He's the voice that says, stand clear of the closing doors. Oh, man. So every time I, I'm on the path uh, train, I, I, I text him that that I I lived in. I mentioned I lived in Hoboken when I was a page and there was one of those late nights coming back from the city. I woke up in Jersey City Journal Square and I'm like, uh oh, I <laughs> I did not mean to fall asleep as soundly as I did. Uh, so quick thing on Curtis okay. Court. It was a bad judge show. And. Uh, they shared the facilities with Inside Edition, which uh, they took over at noon or like they had a mandatory lunch break at noon and then they started at one. I think that's how it worked. But we started at 6 a.m. And so we started recording Judge Joe segments at 7 a.m. And the extras were all paid. Uh, sorry, the audience was all paid. Uh, many of them were homeless people. Uh, so, you know, in a way, it was good outreach from the Curtis Court people, you know, giving money out to the community. But um, a number of them, you know, would show up well-dressed following instructions, didn't necessarily speak much English. So they were just kind of there to just kind of, you know, stare into the lights. Uh, it wasn't a great experience, uh, neither of those. We're getting, Law & Order SVU was mostly pretty fun. I mean, they, the production side of it was in North Bergen, New Jersey at that time because of oh. uh, tax breaks, which then went away and then they moved to Chelsea Piers. So I worked there. I got to know some really great people, as I mentioned, uh, people who had been pages at NBC. What did you do? What did you do at, at that? We, we, we I was have, a production um, secretary, which means okay. I ran the office for like the late shift. But uh, if you work on an hour drama like that, you could be working until two, three in the morning. But yeah. for budget reasons, the line producer was like the office closes at 10 
And if you need anything after that, it'll have to wait till the morning. So it was great because I lived, I lived back in my parents' house at that point. So I had like, on like a 40 minute drive from North Bergen. So it was actually kind of great. I was, I worked all day, five days a week. You know, there's food around all the time, catering trucks and all that. It was, it was a good experience. It was a completely different kind of TV. Uh, not the kind of TV that I personally love, but I, I would watch that show. I watched Law and Order for sure. Um, and then just because I got to the, the writers were all based in LA, they would come out to produce their episodes. I got to know all of them. So then when I needed work in LA at a specific time, I was able to get on, on that show as the script coordinator, which is a union job in LA. Uh, so the money was just crazy for what I had made prior to that. Right. So uh, it was great. Yeah. So it was uh, I, getting to see the production side and then also the writing side. I felt like, you know, uh, I, I feel like I got a lot from that. But boy, was I happy to find out that Dennis Miller was starting a radio show so that I wow. was no longer in the one hour drama world. Wow. No, it's amazing. Well, and then currently um, you're doing you have some other podcasts you're working on. So things you, I, yeah. I, did you want to mention. So I do my own show called the Black Cast, B-L-A-D-T-C-A-S-T. Uh, some of my guests are former pages. I'm about to record a show. With Ron Mata, who was a former page, uh, he and I are going to analyze uh, very special episodes from sitcoms. Uh, so you, by the time this is posted, that episode will be up. So uh, and Tom Kelly, a past guest of yours, he's a semi regular. Uh, we just did a couple episodes where we broke down the premiere of the Chevy Chase show, which uh, oh. debuted 30 years ago uh, wow. in September. So, uh, yeah, so a lot of a lot of page friends show up on that show. But I'm also a part of a show called Who Are These Broadcasters, which is on the network for Who Are These Podcasts, which the idea of that show is. You uh, listen to an episode of a podcast, you bring it in, you play clips, you make fun of it. Think of uh, Talk Soup, which Greg Kinnear used to yes. do and a number of other hosts also mm -hmm. did. But it's basically like that, like, oh, check out these clips. So we do that with broadcasters. We do we focus on here's some local news clips. Here's some national news clips. Here's sportscasters. Mm -hmm. Here's political pundits. We try to keep the show apolitical in the sense of here's a really funny clip of biden he looks like he's falling asleep hey what the heck is trump talking about here we we you know right. we're just like look at it it's all funny you know right. you just got to be able to laugh at everything right. and uh so that's what we do who are these broadcasters which we do live tuesdays at three eastern noon pacific on the who are these podcasts network but you can also wow. find it archived or listen to the audio version wow well, this has been fantastic. I can't thank you enough. So many interesting, it really, it's, I, I, it's so funny because, you know, here it is. It's like, boy, this is, you know, this is so interesting. This should be a podcast, but I, I it truly, really should. Shouldn't yeah. It? I true. We should be recording this. Um, I truly <laughs> find it fascinating. And, and, um, and again, hopefully the listeners, you know, find it interesting, but, but there's so much, you know, again, when people turn on the TV and and just see TV and entertainment, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. There's many people involved. Um, and now, you know, uh, just just, you know, um, knowing what goes into it, having that appreciation, uh, listening to, you know, you've had many jobs, you've done many things. You you were so persistent and work so hard to do all these things. So it, you know, it, I, I get so proud, you know, uh, to see successful, um, uh, X pages, you know, it just, it's just such a great thing to know that, 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 um, that, that there are folks that are really, you know, doing some great things and, and have gone on to success. So 
I, I'm thrilled. Like I feel like a like a happy, you know, Uncle Uncle David. You know, like oh, it's up. Well, so uh, all, all that being said, uh, even though I have those that podcast uh, stuff going on, I am available. You can reach me Blatcast B L A D T C A S T uh, at gmail dot com or on Twitter. Oh, sorry, on X and Instagram, Christian okay. D M Z. Good, perfect. I love it. Well, again, ladies and gentlemen, let's give it up for Christian Black. Thanks for listening to A Page in History. A Page in History is produced by David Harris Katz Entertainment. For more information on our television shows, syndication, and more, go to dhkatz.com. And to listen to more episodes of A Page in History, or if you've been lucky enough to call yourself one of the world-famous NBC pages and would like to appear on the show, go to apageinhistory.tv.